This is Tony Schiavone for our number one of our live telecast. And Larry, as we left our fans last week. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Jim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? A little dejected, a little down. Uh, uh Oh, no, why is that? Uh, because the, the title reign of the public enemy has already come to an end. <laughs> Not only that, they didn't even get the opportunity to be on Nitro again. They lost on Saturday night. <laughs> oh, so disappointing. Although, to be honest, the idea of home heat versus outsiders at Halloween Havoc, at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, Thank you. is a lot more appealing than public enemy versus outsiders. Although that's like, that would have been like an w- interesting, weird matchup. Sure. Yeah, well, before we get into that, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at 20 Years of Nitro. Uh, you can no longer follow Dave. Dave has uh, done the healthy thing that we all should do and quit Twitter. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, but you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And, of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is Monday, October 7th, 1996. And we are coming to you live from the Savannah Civic Center in Savannah, Georgia, in front of a sellout 4,300 fans who paid a total gate of $54,074. This is the 56th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and one of three remaining episodes before Halloween Havoc 1996. Until what? Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc 1996. Thank you. Uh, excuse me, Slim Jim's 1996. I forgot that they also sponsored the year oh, 1996. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this episode of our podcast is dedicated to the Moon Dog, Joseph Moon of Dora, Alabama, who's a fan of ours that uh, asked on Facebook for a shout out. Oh, okay. And he was uh, sort of lucky in that he asked while I was doing uh, my notes for this episode last night, so it was very easy to remember his name and, and put that shout out. Oh, All right, there. nice little shout out there. Yeah, thanks for listening, uh, Joseph. Now, before we get to the show, uh, I do have to address what Dave was just talking about there, which is that Harlem Heat regained the WCW Tag Team Titles from Public Enemy on the October first episode of Saturday Night. Colonel Parker used his cane to hit Johnny Grunge in the knee, which was injured on last week's Nitro by the Faces of Fear, which allowed Harlem Heat to get their belts back. Public Enemy's eight-day reign of terror has ended, and the Heat <laughs> begin their record-tying seventh title reign, matching the number of reigns held by the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Oh, okay. The Wrestling Observer reports that a fight broke out in the stands between black fans and white fans during the match, but WC... Oh. <laughs> Uh, cool uh oh <laughs> uh but wcw managed to edit the footage to make it look like the crowd was just distracted by the presence of the nwo in the stands oh <laughs> so if you actually watch that saturday night you you don't quite understand that there's a race riot going on <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait and and where did this take place was it in the the bible belt somewhere well i'm just guessing it is because this is uh we're in georgia this week and we were in charlotte last week so mm-hmm. it seems like they're in the southeast generally so yeah. i would assume that yeah i'm assuming that that, that it was okay i don't i don't i don't remember as a kid how um polarizing perhaps the harlem heat was <laughs> that's such a polite way of <laughs> saying that many fans are racist <laughs> right <laughs> 
I I I still like one of the more remarkable things is uh was that hog wild. Oh, reaction. that was deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Tony welcomes us to the show and asks Larry what he thinks of the end of last week's episode and the actions of Miss Elizabeth. Larry says that it's obvious that Liz is now with the New World Odor. Tony looks skeptical and shows a replay of Liz's hotel hallway argument with Macho Man that ended last week's show. Um, also, as always, I'd like to mention that the uh, the Nitro uh, opening video still has the blonde sting and the red and yellow Hulk Hogan. And I will keep mentioning it until they change it, <laughs> which I have no idea what that will happen. Tony says that tonight Macho Man will be in the main event against Ric Flair, the man that Liz has been escorting to the ring. Larry says that the replay shows that Macho Man has no emotional control. Uh, I don't know if they mentioned this right away or if it's later on, but it is actually a U.S. title match. Oh, thank you. Yes. So the main event is actually a championship match, which is a nice little change. Yeah. Uh, and the number one contender for the world title is just going for the U.S. title a few weeks earlier. Yeah. Which is <laughs> funny because the U.S. title holder in um, by tradition was supposed to be the number one contender. Although, generally speaking, they didn't do it that way because, I mean, every pay-per-view would be champion versus champion which is kind of a special thing you should be saving. <laughs> right. Tony informs us that we do have new tag team champions, as God's yes, Harlem Heat regain the titles as we talked about on Saturday night. We go to the ring as Public Enemy's music starts up, and Dave Penzer announces that this match between Public Enemy and Harlem Heat will be a non-title grudge match. <laughs> Why a, a Johnny grunge match. Why on earth should this be a non-title match? I I don't I don't know. Like they they give out title matches like candy, and this one has a reason to be a uh, like a return match or something like that. Yeah, so it beats me. I was more surprised of how like happy and like cheerful Public Enemy is. Yeah, considering they just lost their belts, <laughs> they don't give a shit. They don't. They are ready. They are ready to party <laughs> and put their hands up in the air, like they just don't care. Uh, the Heat are already in the ring, the champions having bizarrely been given the jobber entrance for this one. Nick Patrick, still wearing his foam neck brace, holds up the titles. Look at the face, if you will, of Nick Patrick, says Tony, and I would strongly prefer not to if you're going to give me the choice. <laughs> well, the, up to this point, it seems like the beginning of Nitro was a little bit rushed. Sure. Because uh, Tony Schiavone, she, he, he jumped the, the Nitro intro at the very beginning. Yeah. And like you said, we have this jobber entrance. So I don't know if maybe they were running a little bit behind. That could be. That could or there's just a lot to pack in on tonight's show. Hopefully it's just a jam-packed <laughs> episode. Tony plugs an interview that he conducted with Patrick uh, that's going to be... It was on Saturday night, and we're going to see a little bit of it later tonight. Oh, great. I, he says that, but now that I'm saying it out loud, do we ever see that? Do you remember that? Yes. Okay, yep. well, hopefully it's in my notes somewhere. <laughs> tonight... Rick Steiner will have a rematch with Chris Benoit in addition to the aforementioned Savage versus Flair. Uh, and this time, Scott Steiner is going to be in Rick's corner. So presumably, uh, Mongo won't be able to get up to any of his old tricks with mm -hmm. that Halliburton briefcase. Booker T and Johnny Grunge start off locking up before Booker gets a wrist lock. Grunge fights out and gets a shoulder block and then floors Book with a right hand. In comes Rocco Rock and Public Enemy hits a drop toe hold elbow drop combo. Booker is unfazed and tags in Stevie Ray, who stays in control with strikes. Stevie stomps on Rocco Rock for a bit, and Sherry gets in Rock's face. So Rocco goozles her on the outside of the ring, all the way up against the guardrail, where he appears to weigh decking her until she's saved by Stevie Ray. <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
it's uncomfortably aggressive of him. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, should I punch this tiny woman in the face? And of course, the crowd is like, yes, please do. Yeah, but it, but it's also it's kind of weird because Sherry like is usually the heel, but she yeah. is kind of like she looks frightened yeah and that i'm just like oh come on just let's let's not do this and i'm not saying that her actions were good but all she did was get in his face she didn't like cheat she didn't hit him she didn't poke his eyes she was just like yelling at him right and he had enough of that lip (laughs) uh we go to commercial despite the protestations of larry zabisco Uh, during the commercial we get a what the big boys wear commercial with macho man yelling about a t-shirt which Cost the requisite twenty four ninety five and five ninety five shipping and handling. <laughs> Yikes! And that's in nineteen ninety six, by yeah. the way. I mean, to, I, I, today that's a lot. Yeah, I think we say that every week, but I'm just I'm, every time I see it, I'm like, I can't believe how much that T-shirt costs. Right. <laughs> we come back to Miss Elizabeth knocking on the door of Savage's locker room. She begs to come in, but there's no answer, so she just goes in anyway. There's nobody home, so Liz just leaves, and that was pretty pointless. <laughs> I guess now we know that she wants to talk to Macho Man tonight. That's yeah. that's about all we needed from that. I can, I don't remember. Does it does he have like the little nameplate on there, or is does she just say, uh, "Macho, are you in this room?" I don't recall. I feel like they they really weren't doing like the nameplate stuff just yet. Yeah, it might have been like a piece of paper, <laughs> Macho <laughs> Man taped to the door. <laughs> just, macho Man's here. <laughs> Back in the ring, Stevie Ray works a chin lock on Rocco Rock, who fights out, but falls victim to a kick and a side slam. Booker T is tagged in and hits a jumping kick for a two count. He dumps Rocco to the outside, where Parker holds him and Sherry decks him as Booker T distracts Nick Patrick. Back in the ring, Booker gets a two count interrupted by Johnny Grunge. A chin lock follows that, and Rocco eventually escapes, but Booker maintains control with a side headlock. Public Enemy manages a tag, but Patrick misses it, then argues with Grunge rather than stop the obvious Harlem Heat double team. The belts are still just sitting in the corner of the ring, so I'm guessing that they're going to be a part of the finish. Spoiler alert, they're not, but I was like, I just was like, it's four minutes into this match. Why are those belts still there? Like, oh, they must be a part of the finish. No, just everyone's lazy. Yeah. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have someone at... Penzer, get off your ass. You're in a chair right there. Go grab those belts. Come on. <laughs> right. The NWO shows up, all of them but Hogan anyway, with Six filming everyone on a handheld camera. I assume the same one that was shown to me by de- former by former WCW producer Neil Pruitt at StarCast uh, when we met him recently. Oh, I, I missed that. It was, uh, I think he only had it there on Sunday. It wasn't there the first couple days that I was talking to him. And then Sunday, yeah, he had the little camcorder that the NWO used. Oh, okay. It's a little tidbit. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, we all had a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Hall has a mic, and let's hear what he has to say. I've been told told now by our production truck, the NWO has arrived. They are here. They are in the arena here somewhere. I can smell them. I I can smell them. I know they're here somewhere. There they are. The owner's coming from up there. The Outsiders Hall. Some of the outsiders, Chico, you're gonna get it. Yeah, in a couple of weeks, Slim Jim Halloween Havoc, we're gonna snap into them belts of yours. 
This Halloween Havoc, Chico, is gonna be awful scary. And, you know, I know why they wear these things on their nose now, because I can smell the fear. Oh. Yo, he, the time is running. But don't forget, boys, you can smell the fear, but I can smell the money and those belts. Hey, he, Halloween Havoc, it's gonna get real, real hot. style here. How did they get on our frequency? I have We're no idea. Get you. Ready or not, here we come. We're gonna get you. You know, it looks like We're they're doing their best you. to try to distract the heat, but I don't think it's working. We're gonna get you. Very intimidating. There you see six up there as well. See it havoc, boys. The NWO in the building making a statement. Hall and Nash promise to get the belts at Halloween Havoc, and then they make sounds like uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Ted DiBiase says the outsiders can smell the fear of Harlem heat, but he can smell the money. Ah, money. Hall just peters out at the end of this promo, just repeating, we're going to get you over and over again. Like, he thought that it was kind of spooky or something, but it's just dumb, and it's clear that he has no ideas. it, It seemed like that he was like, I need to keep talking until something certain happens in the yeah. ring, and he's just kind of waiting for it to happen. And eventually, they're like, "Okay, we're just gonna leave now." It was a really lame appearance by the NWO here. Like, yeah. I thought that they just seemed like, "What are we gonna say out there?" Ah, we'll wing it. It'll be fine. Yeah. And like a lot of times, those guys can do that, and a lot of times you get this where it's just like, "Wow, they have no idea where any of this is like where to go, what to say." I mean, if they would have left like ten seconds earlier, it would have been fine. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of just drag on of like, so I mean, what? Because it doesn't seem to be distracting them to the point in which the announcers are like, "Oh, good for Harlem Heat not being distracted by yeah. this." I just don't know what purpose this serves besides like, let's just get a reminder out there early that the, the NWO is here. Sure. Meanwhile, uh, while that's all going on, in split screen, we see Stevie Ray get an elbow drop and a tag to Booker, who hits knees and a spinning standing elbow. Booker slaps on a chin lock, hoping to outlast the rest of this shitty promo. (laughs) Booker walks into a Rocco Rock big boot, but then levels him with a clothesline. He comes off the second rope with the forearm, but Rocco moves. From the apron, Grunge hits Booker with a shot and he flies backwards into Rock, and both men go down. The two then manage tags, and Johnny Grunge runs very, very mild, culminating in a double Naga knocker on the Harlem Heat, setting up Rocco Rock for a double Bulldog. Double shoulder block on Stevie Ray, and a scoop slam for Booker. Rocco is at the top rope, but Sherry distracts Nick Patrick so that Parker can shake the ropes and cause Rocco Rock to fall to the floor, apparently through a table that was set up. You can't really see that, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, he doesn't just go straight to the floor. He goes through a table. I think there's a replay that shows it better in a second. But yeah. at first, it just you just see this man tumble to the floor. And and kudos to Rock Rock. He put a lot of the effort into that because yeah. uh, um, Colonel Robert Parker, his rope shaking's not very good. And he's pretty late to it, as I recall, too. Right. So basically, Rock Rock is just like heaving himself over the top. <laughs> Absolutely. Through the table. So I was like, oh, good for him for making it look a lot better than it than it. I suppose the defense might be that that's much safer to have him in complete control of his fall. Mm-hmm. So maybe Parker did a bad job on purpose because the last thing you want to do is really shake the ropes and have that guy fall in an uncontrolled way. Sure. 
Meanwhile, Larry is mad that WCW painted a NASCAR vroom vroom racing car for Sting just because the Stinger had a temper tantrum. <laughs> if your teenager has a tantrum, Larry asks, would you buy him a car or would you pop him in the mouth? <laughs> if those are my only two choices, I guess I'm buying him a car. Like, I don't really love the idea, but I'm not punching him in the mouth. For a, a, a temper tantrum. And right. Just wham. <laughs> right. Have you considered turning off the TV, sitting down with your kids? <laughs> And hitting, hitting them. <laughs> Grunge goes for Parker, and Stevie chop locks him in the back of his bad knee. Sherry continues to distract Patrick, hugging him for minutes while Stevie hits Grunge with a chair right on that injured knee. By, by the way, because knowing that I wasn't doing the play-by-play for this, yeah. I was watching those two the whole time, Nick Patrick and Sherry. Yeah. And at least twice they do like a like a... A, like a hug in like agreement of something. Oh yeah. And then they keep talking again. And then there's like another hug. It's, <laughs> it's just like, they are trying to buy as much time as yeah. possible. It's a, it seems like a crazy amount of time that he's being distracted. Yeah. They, the hug lasts forever. It's like one of the mo- longest distraction spots I've ever seen. It's crazy. Right. Stevie Ray side slams grunge and holds a chair across the knee, which Booker comes off the top rope onto. Booker covers Grunge, and finally Patrick comes back to the match and counts. So this non-title match was still won by the champs, and the belt sitting on the apron never came into play. <laughs> uh, I thought this match was pretty bad, and uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Public Enemy, but I am a Harlem Heat fan, mm-hmm. and Public Enemy's had some fun matches, but yeah. like this was less psychology and cohesiveness than they even normally have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just This did nothing for me. What, what did you think? Yeah, and it, it it seemed like for there's a lot of portions of this match where like m- one or two of the wrestlers just didn't really know where to go next, right? You know, um, and it's see because like really you would think that like the falling through the table would have been towards the end, right? But then it just kind of keeps going on. Yeah, I I feel like the whole match was like that. It was just keeping on, keep on going, keep on going. So and that was the case of the NWO promo that was halfway through. It just kind of kept going and kept going and it was <laughs> right. you know unnecessary i mean i for me like with public enemy in in particular against harlem heat like if this match would have been a couple minutes shorter it yeah. would have been fine yeah but it's it's just the case of uh you know these are two teams that just really don't know how to, to how to keep the match going with this other team i like I just don't think these like two teams particularly have good chemistry sure and this was the more apparent because it seemed like they had to like eat up time for one reason or another right and you could just tell they weren't very effective on that so um but i mean like the idea of this match being the opener i like it yeah because usually i want like some hard-hitting tag team match yeah or the cruiserweights right so it was a good match choice it just was poor in execution well we get no time to dwell on anything that happened as we immediately cut to a limo arriving backstage tony guesses it may be the hulkster but instead outsteps Jeff Jarrett. Wait, what? <laughs> in some white cowboy boots, white jeans, and a sleeveless white t-shirt, and of course, sunglasses in the middle of the night. Yes. <laughs> he puts on a leather jacket, proclaims that he has something to say, and we go to commercial. All right. Huh. So Jeff Jarrett's here. <laughs> yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere right. with very little fanfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess we'll see how that plays out later in the show. Okay. When we come back, we see some footage originally shown on Saturday night of an interview between Tony Schiavone and Nick Patrick. 
Patrick says that he is going to shock the world by bringing law and order back to WCW, which he will do by finding Randy Savage the largest fine in any professional sport, $1 million for Savage laying his hands on Patrick. Patrick is also pushing for suspension. Patrick claims that his lawyers are backing him, saying that he has a very good case, and he urges WCW to back him up. So it's kind of unclear if he has any authority to level this fine and suspension. I, to me, I like the the idea of him with the lawyers backing him up. It's yeah. like I think that he realizes he doesn't have the authority, but he's yeah. like, WW, make this official, or I is, we're going to go to court over this. Yeah, which is a very weird way for an official to act. I'm... <laughs> right. I don't. I don't know. That's like uh, when he said it was going to be the largest fine. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like. A hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, a but million. Dollars. A million's like a dumb amount of money. <laughs> yeah, that's more than Savage is getting paid in a year by WCW at this point. That's more than anyone other than Hogan and the company is making at this point. I think Sting is seven fifty. Um, I think Flair is around that as well. So yeah, there's. It's I, like, oh, thanks, Nick <laughs> Patrick. I'm broke now. Right. <laughs> I I have to file for bankruptcy because of this stupid fine. Yeah, and uh, this was, I guess. Um, and they don't really play it here. You, you, there is some reference to this later. Uh, this was kind of in the zeitgeist at the time in 1996 uh, because of Roberto Alomar. You remember he spit on an umpire? <laughs> uh, it was a huge deal yeah. uh, at the time. He was, a, he was a baseball player for anyone listening who doesn't remember old Roberto. And he had got – I think he had other fines and incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest one, he lost his temper. He spit on an umpire, and there was a huge fine. Uh, so that kind of gets in a roundabout way mentioned later, I think, just so that you kind of connect the storyline to what's going on at the time. Very almost more WWF like uh, where they really, you know, if the umpires go on strike, the WWF referees go on strike. Yeah. You know, so um, kind of interesting that WCW is doing sort of a similar thing here. Uh, Patrick points out that there was an announcer who cast a lot of doubts on his integrity. And now that guy is gone which is a very nice way to make uh, work Mean Gene's departure into a storyline. I thought that was oh, really, that was kind of cool. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't catch on who he was saying. Yeah. At first I thought he was talking about Tony Schiavone, which oh, okay. I thought was like funny because Tony Schiavone's interviewing him yeah. and not reacting. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah, I totally, I was like, I don't know who he's referring to and I really didn't like look it up. I assume that because he's not signed with a the company, they don't want to like use his name and uh, draw attention to the fact that, like, I think they want oh, you to be sure. smart enough to pick up on it without, like, out and out being like, hey, remember Mean Gene? Isn't he better at this than Tanay and Shivani? Right. <laughs> now I remember because he always is like, uh, Mean Gene was always adding in, like, I see you with a bunch of fancier suits nowadays. Right. Or that sort of thing. <laughs> DDP's theme hits and he makes his way to the ring, ready uh, for his big match against Jim Powers. Tony doubts that the fine will stand at $1 million, but Larry lauds Nick Patrick for making a stand and speculates that Liz knows her alimony payments will be affected, and that's why she's making movie deals with Hollywood Hogan. Hmm. It's interesting that Larry... I, I don't... It seems like it's happening this episode for the first... Like, he's all of a sudden really on Nick Patrick's side. Yeah. Whereas in the past, he was like, he's a dirty rat, he's with the NWO. Mm-hmm. Larry definitely hates the NWO, but, like, for some reason, he's starting to separate Nick Patrick from the NWO and view him as his own thing, and he likes it. He likes Nick Patrick. He likes this shitty heel ref. Yeah, and I also noticed this week, I, I don't know if it happened like the previous week as well, but yeah. 
there's a lot there's like no reference to Nick Patrick helping the NWO. It's more just Nick Patrick individual what he's been doing. And they kind of have done that um because when it first started he was helping the NWO but he was also just helping random heels yeah. that have no affiliation. So it's kind of been unclear at times it's been like heavily hinted that he's on the take from the NWO. Sometimes it just seems like he's shitty at his job. Like, it's really unclear. Right. If it's an NWO thing or if he just hates good guys now, it's... Mm -hmm. I don't... And I'm curious to see how that's going to get resolved, if it does get resolved, if we ever learn why he's being such a prick. Yeah, I I don't remember how this ends up. Powers comes out along with his manager, Teddy Long, and here to call all of the action is our own broadcaster who's always jacked and juiced up and full of beef, <laughs> Dave Amendorp. So much beef. Yeah, uh, coming into this, I would have expected Jim Powers to get the jobber entrance, but he didn't. Good for him. Yeah, hey. Make, it, make a little progress. <laughs> the bell rings with Teddy Long still in the ring, and as he exits, Nick Patrick is giving him a count to exit which I'm pretty sure is the first time such a count has like, ever existed. Yeah, I, I'm willing to go along with it, though, because it plays into how much he hates Teddy Long. Yeah. So maybe he's even maybe like that's a rule that they always ignore, but he's like he's going to exploit that rule just to fuck with Teddy Long. Yeah, if you put that along with the idea of, like, I'm going to ring the bell while he's still in the ring yeah. just so he has to have the count. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then I, I get it, and I get it, and I like it. Anyway, a collar and elbow tie-up turns into an arm drag for Powers. We get a second collar and elbow tie-up, which turns into a full Nelson for DDP, but Powers muscles out of it. The two men trade arm bars and headlocks until Powers drops Page with a shoulder tackle. As DDP recovers, we get a split screen with Page giving his promo for his match with Eddie Guerrero at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Uh, yeah, he certainly likes to refer to Guerrero as Burrito Boy. Mm -hmm. He does it at least like three times in this promo. It was twice. Yeah. Because I was distracted by Page calling Guerrero G Burrito Boy during this promo. and went, So I missed like all the action yeah. <laughs> yeah. for like the 15 seconds. And when the split screen ends, we have Powers getting a schoolboy for a two count. There's some jawing and slapping in the middle of the ring, which goes into Powers' advantage as he hits a cross body block for a two count. <laughs> Just as Tony Schiavone talks about the positive leadership of Teddy Long, DDP turns his second full Nelson of the match into a diamond cutter for the pinfall victory. So it's a pretty pretty short match. Um, I think there's more of an emphasis, more for like, showing that promo and reminding us that he's in a face Eddie Guerrero right. at uh, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Yep. Um, and yep. continuing to get over the diamond cutter as like just this lethal. He takes a big old pause after he hits it in this match. Like yeah. he hits the diamond cutter. He takes like a little break. He kind of looks around at the crowd like, well, did you see that cool move I just hit? And, and they popped like crazy oh, yeah. again. Yep. That move is crazy over. And uh, I'm actually really looking forward to that match against Guerrero. I think that'll be a highlight. Yeah. I mean, especially since, I mean, they faced each other before, but this is, this is the first time in which they've had like, oh, there's like a backstory to it. Right. And they've involved like Chavo Guerrero and like the Guerrero family and everything like that. So, yeah. Because for me, Eddie Guerrero, when he's like fired up, yeah. is the best Eddie Guerrero. And that other one, I mean, it was on a Clash of the Champions, so it wasn't just a normal TV match. But, I mean, you still got commercial breaks and everything. Like, a mm -hmm. pay-per-view match, I think, will still stand out over that last oh, match. Oh, like, uh, in theory, will be an uninterrupted match? Yeah. In theory? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know, yeah, I mean, the NWO could show up or do some weird stuff, but, like, I'm right. just saying that the other one wasn't really a pay-per-view match because it was on a clash. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was also going to say, as far as the Diamond Cutter is concerned, yes. um, I, I miss having, like, the, the end-all, be-all sort of finisher like that, Yeah, where no matter where we are in the match, as far as, like, the pace is concerned, you hit the finisher, the other guy's done, you know? Right. I think, I think wrestling could benefit from having more, like, people with finishers like that they're just like you you wait for your opportunity and if you find it it doesn't matter how long the matches have been going it's over now yeah ddp kicks at teddy long shoves him into a corner and fakes a punch or like cocks his fist for a punch yeah before running his hand through his hair posing and then doing the thing where you like kiss your hand like you're gonna blow a kiss but instead you put the kiss on your butt yep yeah, yeah. <laughs> really got him yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, DDP is the the best like cheesy heel. Yes, I agree. Yeah, like early on in the match, some uh like lady in the crowd heckles him and he just shouts out, "Shut up, bimbo!" Yeah, and I'm just like, God, that that old stuff works so well. Or like he's totally the guy that's like goes for a handshake but then yeah. pulls it back at the last second. Like he's all about that sort of like corny stuff i think i mean i i think he's great on tv and pay-per-view and everything but i bet ddp was really fun at house shows where he oh, could just sure. really go all out to the live crowd yeah and not worry at all about tv i bet that i bet he was really fun to see in that i bet he spent like half his time outside the ring <laughs> just talking shit just jacking with a bunch of fans <laughs> We go to com- jacking it with a bunch of fans. <laughs> yes. Just, <laughs> Just jacking it. <laughs> oh, those legendary WCW house shows. <laughs> Just DDP in the first three rows jacking it. Once again, DDP gets counted out. <laughs> <laughs> we get a replay of the Diamond Cutter, and Tony teases the NWO, and Jeff Jarrett is still to come. As we go to commercial, when we return, Tanae is in the aisle, and he welcomes to the program the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Welcome back, everyone, to Monday Nitro, and ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Savage, the big one upcoming, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc against Hulk Hogan, October the 27th. Tonight, the second hour of Nitro, main event matchup with Ric Flair. But I understand that you spent this past weekend in Ric Flair's hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes, I did. Let me have the microphone. Right here is a friend of mine, Jason Killer. Number 57, the driver of the Slim Jim Halloween Havoc race car. And Jason, I gotta tell you something. For the last couple of weeks out here, the NWO, the New World Order, have been going crazy, yeah. And they've been saying that at Charlotte Speedway this last Saturday that they were gonna run over everybody and they were gonna win the race. They got a race car driver named Patty supposed to be a real famous family and I just wanted to ask you Jason at Charlotte at the Speedway how did the NWO car do? Macho, the only thing they hit was a the wall they didn't do too good. They hit the wall! 
Did they finish the race? Didn't even finish the race, man. Let me ask you a question, Jason. The Slim Jim Halloween Havoc car, number 57, you didn't hit the wall, did you? No, we had a pretty good day, and we didn't hit the wall, that's for sure. You finished the race? Oh, yeah, every lap. Did you finish in the top 25, Jason? Come on, Macho. You were there with us. You know what happened. They finished in the top 25. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did they finish in the top 20, Jason? Give me a little credit there, Macho. We were, you were there. You know we did. Unbelievable. They finished in the top 20. I'm impressed. Great? I'm impressed. All right. I want to go crazy right now. Did you finish in the top 15? And we did that, too. They did it! Praise the big macho man of the sky! They finished in the top 15! Isn't that great? We're gonna party! We're gonna party all night long. Okay, did they finish in the top 12? Did that too now. We did it too. The Slim Jim Halloween Havoc car finished in the top 12. Jason, tell me exactly where you finished. Well, we had a good day, and uh, we ended up finishing 10th, and... Uh, oh, wait, I gotta ask you a question, Jason. Number 57, my friend. Yeah, what's up with you now? Well, we're gonna take the uh, Slim Jim Halloween Havoc car to Rockingham in a couple weeks. Unlike the NWO guys, we're gonna show up, we're gonna be there, and we're gonna do a lot better there than we did at Charlotte. Exactly, and at MGM, at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. You Hollywood Hulk Hogan, it's gonna be the end. You're gonna crash and burn, just like the NWO car. Yes, you are, you understand? No way, what's done is done, save it. Now let's go to the ring for tag team action on Monday Nitro, Dave oh, Penzer. My goodness, would you look at this? Who comes out along with their race car driver in Slim Jim branded racing attire. There's an agonizingly long beginning to this promo. I mean, it, the, essentially the whole promo is Randy and the Slim Jim driver talking about what the fuck happened last week in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Um and I really like recapping stuff, and I usually do it in detail, but this was so boring, and it's so unimportant to WCW that I'm just going to gloss over it. Yep. Basically, the NWO car crashed. Yep. This guy finished, I think, 10th. And instead of just saying, hey, they crashed, we finished 10th, Randy Savage keeps going like, well, hey, did you finish in the top 25? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we did, Randy. Well, did you finish in the top 17? Well, yeah, we did, Randy. Well, did you finish in the top 11? Yeah. Just cut to the goddamn chase, Christ. Yeah, and I think he asked her like four or five times, and sometimes the the, the driver was like, I think you know the answer to this, Randy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, he seems annoyed. It's like, <laughs> right. dude, you're there. Imagine how I feel. Yeah, and it, and it's like this is an, a typical Savage promo where it looks like he's about to have like an aneurysm <laughs> yes. because he is just like so like, you know, just – on a different, I don't know, it's just so much on a different level, like just veins pulsating out of his neck as he's <laughs> yes. trying to get the answer as far as where they finished. But, I like, the thing that's really messed up about this to me is that Randy Savage has been left lying in his own blood and spray paint and sweat, like, on every show for weeks at this point. Mm -hmm. And... Last week, he had this explosive confrontation with his ex-wife, who has very complicated feelings for, mm -hmm. uh, who may be betraying him to the NWO. That's the last time we saw him. He doesn't come out and talk about any of that. He talks about fucking NASCAR. Right. That's so stupid. That that makes him look so... 
I mean, he he could not look worse over the last like month or two. Mm-hmm. But like they they're finding a way. <laughs> they're finding a way to make him look even stupider than he already looked. Yeah. Especially to the degree of like last week where it was like you felt like Savage really wanted to smack her. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he, he was resisting what his natural tendency was was to be abusive. And it just it does like it was that intensity of that and especially since uh, the fact that Miss Elizabeth is already looking for him, you think they'd want to address that right away. Right. Why would he even care about talking about the race car driver? You know, like two segments ago, an official that he assaulted because he's on a like on the very edge of sanity itself. We're right. constantly told mm-hmm. said that he was going to find this guy a million dollars. Randy doesn't even address it once. <laughs> right. Not even when he's done with the NASCAR shit. He doesn't yeah. even talk about it. Yeah. It it's an infuriating segment and promo. Uh and I think <laughs> I think the mistake is always like if you don't have Savage address it right away, yeah. you know he's going to go off to a different planet with his thoughts. <laughs> right. He's not going to come back around to like, "Oh, by the way, do I have a match going on or right. something like that?" No, <laughs> yeah. he just he just starts talking like crazy shit. So yeah, so we he gets like one closing line saying that uh, at Halloween Havoc, uh, Hogan's gonna crash and burn just like the NWO car. Mm-hmm. Then Liz shows up and says that she needs to talk to Randy, but he doesn't want to, mm-hmm. and they leave, and that's the end of that fucking bullshit. <laughs> right. I really hated that segment. I love the Macho Man. I love his yeah. crazy ass promos. This sucked. This was such a waste of time. Yeah, it, I mean, it it not only does it doesn't advance things, you feel like it goes back a bit. Yeah. Because it's like, wait, this character clearly doesn't care about the things that have been happening to him. Yeah. How should I be invested in this if he's not invested? Yeah. He's talking about race cars. That's he's like <laughs> intensely yeah, yeah, yeah. interested in race cars, not so much his world title match or like his falling out with his ex wife. Like Oh god. It is. It's a completely bizarre promo. Tanae tosses it to Penzer, but we don't really hear what he says. Like, he makes a big point of sending it to Penzer, mm-hmm. but Tony and Larry just start talking, and we don't hear anything Dave Penzer saying. Yeah. Tony and Larry speculate that Liz just wants more alimony. Well, women do be wanting money. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, was Tony thinking that, or is that ba- basically... I believe it's one of those things where Larry says the misogynist thing, and then Tony's like, hmm, good point. Right. Like, the, he doesn't really say it, but when Larry puts it out there, he's always like, mm, yes, women are evil. <laughs> <laughs> they always be wanting that <laughs> cash money. Larry talks trash about Kyle Petty, who he calls Kyle Sweaty. <laughs> uh, let's call it a day. He, he's one. <laughs> I'm always annoyed with Larry when I'm watching him, but then when I talk about it later it's so funny to me like yeah. kyle sweaty is so eye-rolling but when i say it out loud it, it does crack me up right yep <laughs> out come high voltage to their zap zap sounds <laughs> right. God. just really hitting home their name <laughs> tony claims that they are moving up the ranks of wcw <laughs> which is god like every week yeah. he makes one of those kind yeah. of bullshit statements where it's like so and so is a really important competitor. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no high voltage is not going up any ranks. All right, well it led me to uh, look up something, and and I want to. It led me to formulate this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I looked this up, and I'm going to ask you, Dave. Okay. Dave, when do you think the last time that high voltage had a televised win? Televised win. Yes. Pro worldwide. 
Saturday night, Nitro, just any televised win. I'm going to take a shot here and say never. That is correct. It's a trick question. <laughs> they have never won on television. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I'm actually disappointed you got that, but it's actually funnier. <laughs> You're like, well, wait a minute. These guys can't win. <laughs> wait a second. Because <laughs> I was trying to think, like, what team would possibly lose to them? Yeah. It's never. Yeah, they even have a loss to, um, what are they called, State Patrol? I don't even remember who it's, State Patrol It's like uh, Buddy Lee Parker, who's now playing the Leprechaun, and another guy, and they like dress up like Highway Patrol officers, and oh. they never appear outside of like the syndicated shows. Wow. And yes, even they have beat High Voltage. <laughs> <laughs> Outcome their opponents tonight, Meng and the Barbarian, the Faces of Fear, so I don't like Ruckus and Chaos's chances of getting into the win column tonight. <laughs> Wait, Ruckus? Robbie Ruckus and Ke- oh no, it's Kenny Chaos and Robbie Rage. Yeah, I think oh, yeah, sh- one of them should be called Ruckus. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say that's Robbie Ruckus would be a lot better than Robbie Rage. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just like making fun of them with like their ah uh, some bullshit name like Ruckus or whatever. No, that's how little I care about them. <laughs> so- well, here to call all the action is our own Robbie Ruckus. <laughs> yes, Dave Amendorf. All right. So the faces of fear attack high voltage before the bell as though they need this advantage. And we start out with Ming against Kenny Chaos. Ming nails Chaos with chops at the corner. And when Kenny tries to mount a comeback, he discovers his clotheslines have no effect on the big Tongan. Robbie Rage takes himself in and the two double drop kick Ming as we cut to the aisle where Benoit, Mongo, and Deborah are watching with interest. And I'm trying to figure out why are they watching this match with interest? Uh, are they facing the face? They of are. Fear? Yes, yes. They they do face the face of fear at Halloween Havoc. Okay, is this announced yet? I don't remember. Probably on Saturday night. Probably. Okay. Because yeah, we never really see them on Nitro, but on Saturday night they'll do like the. I mean, Mean Gene's not around now, but they would do like the control center type things. You know, the kind of classic. Yeah. Little four minute like um. Almost like a a paid ad for. I mean, it's not. It's on their own show, mm-hmm. um, but where they promote the pay per view and it like a and it seems like if you watch their night and you watch those, you're like, oh wow, all these matches are on the pay per view. Like, why do they never tell me this on Nitro? Right. So yeah, it's very. I wouldn't even say possible. I'd say probable that this has been announced on on okay. Saturday night. Okay. So for if you're like a more casual viewer that just watches Nitro, you're probably like, what the fuck's going on here? Either way. Meng regains the advantage, only, but only momentarily, as an Irish whip into his team's corner is reversed. Chaos tags himself in and hits a flying splash slash shoulder tackle thing, while Robbie Rage misses a flying nothing. Oh, yeah. It, lo- it was supposed to be some kind of double team thing, yeah. and the timing is just way off, and it looks terrible. Yeah. Basically, Chaos comes off the, off the ropes, like it does a springboard, but kind of just like just runs into him. Yeah. And then they both land before Robbie Rage like lands. And so he <laughs> just kind of stomps the ground. Yeah, he looks so dumb. So like the one time they have a the chance to like do a double team move, it's just completely Well, they did do the double drop kick, yeah. but I feel like any tag team can nail the double drop kick. I would hope so. Either way, after that disaster, a Robbie Rage cover only gets two. And Meng hits a reverse atomic drop before tagging in the Barbarian. Barbarian hits a clothesline and a pump handle slam before going for the cover. 
but let's up after two. Oh. Which, of course, Larry bitches about. Yep. Barbarian body slams Rage into the turnbuckles before tagging Meng back in. Meng, to my surprise, hits a sit-out powerbomb, but then tags right back out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It so, was a good-looking sit-out. I mean, that's a. I love that move in general. Yeah. And Meng hitting it looks impressive. Yeah, it's just... Th- these guys hitting powerbombs, not surprising. The yeah. fact that he sits out for it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now you got my attention, sir. <laughs> uh, now it's Barbarian's turn to hit the powerbomb, which is unfortunate if you're the recipient because Barbarian really doesn't care when he hits a powerbomb. Right. What happens to you? <laughs> yeah. Only to have Chaos break up the subsequent pin attempt. While Chaos argues with the referee, Ming slingshots Rage into a Barbarian boot. And apparently that's all it needs, all they need to take the pinfall victory. Um, yeah, so this match shows you why high voltage is usually not on. Nitro, right, yeah. Know. Like, um, what's uh, hard work? Bobby Walker? Hard work Bobby Walker? Yeah. Hard body Bobby? No, hard work Bobby Walker. Is it hard work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was his gimmick that he worked really hard. I'm not even kidding. His gimmick yeah. was that he worked hard at being a good wrestler, which was funny because then he was bad at wrestling. <laughs> yeah, well, because I feel like the reason why he's not on is because he had like that match with Malenko. Yeah. And he just, there was a lot of botches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm feeling like High Voltage might go the way of hard work Bobby Walker at sure. this point because like, when they had the opportunity to get on the offensive, like they did not look good. Right. I would agree. So. Uh, also, during the match, they announced that Jeff Jarrett's going to wrestle on tonight's show. Oh, all right. So uh, that's that's big. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it was during this match that I noticed that Zabisco has this thing where like 80% of his sentences he'll say, and it's uh, the tone of his voice makes it sound like he's making a good point, or at least he thinks he is, or like a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll see if I can do it the way that he does. He'll be like, um, if you're trying to fight uh, the faces of fear, you might want to take a second thought. Oh, And it's yeah, like, yeah. that's not a smart or incisive or funny comment, mm-hmm. but he takes this pause and then like delivers a second, like, here comes my raging punchline. And you're like, well, that was just a normal sentence. Why did you say it like that? Yeah, so it's like the his cadence? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He And he says just s- almost all of his sentences like that. And mm-hmm. it was really bad because once I noticed it, I couldn't stop noticing it. <laughs> oh, sure. It's really coloring the way that I feel about l- the entire hour that he's on Nitro. <laughs> yeah, so... On on my end, like th- this whole this whole episode, I felt like I really didn't he- like I didn't notice a lot of the announcing. Sure, which for me is kind of weird because usually I'm always noticing it. Right. So I I don't know if that means that the announcing wasn't bad or if it was just like I just wasn't focusing on it. Sure. Jimmy Hart yells at the camera. We see some replays. Tony teases us what's to come, and confusingly, <laughs> he says, uh, "Speaking of the announcing, Tony says." And we'll be back more. Live on Nitro continues after this timeout. <laughs> it makes it sound like the show's called Live on Nitro. <laughs> it it feels like you took what, what an announcer really said and did that thing where you like Google translate it back and forth between languages a few times mm-hmm. so that it just gets garbled. Yeah. And we'll be back more. Just that's almost what English sounds like. <laughs> right. Well, he had the right words in there. <laughs> we go to commercial, and when we come back, we get the Saturday Night promo, which uh, Saturday Night's going to feature 
Eddie versus Disco Inferno, which sounds pretty sweet. I might actually try to check that out. Rough and Ready versus the Harlem Heat. Wait, uh, so Rough and Ready is Dirty Dick Slater and Mean you know, Mike Penis. <laughs> Mike Penis. Yeah, they're I think they're pretty close to breaking up and Dirty Dick Slater is like a month or two away from getting an injury that ends his career. Oh. <laughs> so we have that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I don't know if it's like a terrible cuz he's also pretty old at this point. Yeah. So I you know, I don't know that it was that de- I mean it might be. I I can't really remember, but I think it might have just been like well, I should probably stop doing this shit anyway. Time to hit the old dusty trail. I am the ugliest man alive. Maybe I should get off television. <laughs> Wait, I weren't. I thought. Aren't we talking about Dirty Dick Slater and yeah. not uh, Greg Valentine? Oh, that's yeah. I guess I'm pretty off brand of me to suggest <laughs> that anyone other than Greg Valentine <laughs> right. is the ugliest person. <laughs> I know specifically who you think is the <laughs> ugliest wrestler. I've so. been very clear. On this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Out next comes Glacier's opponent for this evening, a dude with a mullet and a leather jacket. It's Mike Winner. <laughs> we have not seen Mike Winner, a.k.a. Mike Wenner, since he was last the... <laughs> That's his real name, Wenner. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, since he was the bad Elvis impersonator on Clash of the Champions way back in January. Remember that shit? He came out, did a horrible Elvis impersonation, and then Kevin Sullivan came and beat him up. And that was the entire segment. I forget. Did we, did we speculate that that guy was like really hammered too? He, something seemed weird with him. It was yeah. just like the worst impression I've ever seen. Okay. Which I think was the point. But uh, he's he's a power plant trainer who is very rarely used as a jobber, but occasionally he is. Oh. Um, so he has affiliation with the company, but he's not like a guy who wrestles more than like a couple times a year, mm-hmm. um, except maybe in like dark matches. But mostly he's just down at the power plant. Uh, creating the Robbie rages of the world. <laughs> well, he kind of like fits the profile of like being like he goes to the gym a lot, but yeah. probably doesn't like learn a lot of wrestling while he's out there. This is the second to last televised WCW match that he will ever have. Uh, he's going to be losing to Conan on Pro next month. Oh, okay. And then he's gone for good. So we'll we'll never see him again. Okay. For um, a second, I thought you were going to spoil another Nitro appearance. No, no, no. By nope. Mike Winner. <laughs> Glacier's music and lasers uh, hit, and they still get a very nice pop. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of interesting because this is always described as such a flop, but at first, this is over as hell. Glacier really is quite over with the crowd. Yeah. Tony and Larry agree that we've seen a lot of martial arts-inspired wrestlers, but what sets Glacier apart is he's learned multiple styles. And here to call all the action is our own master of multiple styles, Dave Amantorp. Okay. Well, Mike... Winner tries to attack Glacier as he bows to his adversary, but Glacier quickly thwarts the attack, ending in his nice-looking leg sweep, which, again, is pretty awesome. A second Winner assault is countered with a drop toehold into a hammerlock. The wrestlers are back on their feet, and Winner breaks the hole with a back elbow. Winner gets Glacier into the corner, hits him with a combination of shoulder thrusts and knee lifts, Easily the most offense uh, Glacier has been a recipient of to this point. Glacier spins his way out of an Irish whip, rolls over his opponent's back, and hits a nice jumping spin kick. After another kick to the chop sends Mike Winner over the top rope into the arena floor, Glacier introduces us to a new wrinkle of his offense by hitting a cross body flock to the arena floor. Back in the ring, and Glacier hits his patented spin kick for the pinfall victory. 
So it's a pretty pretty quick match. Um, it 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 seems weird that like this is the guy that gets a little bit of offense on him. Yeah, he got too much for my. I mean, any is too much for Mike Winner. Right. <laughs> um, but I I liked it because we saw a little bit more of what Glacier is able to do. Like I I thought the jumping spin kick looked really good. Yeah. Um, and that he can go, he can do like a cross body block over the top rope. Yep. You know. He shows that he has a little bit more than just kind of like karate stance kicks and stuff like that. So, right. Um, then, <laughs> then after the match, <laughs> and I, it's like as soon as this started, I knew it was going to happen. Like, yeah. It, like he's doing his posing, and then we get like the minute countdown. Yeah. And I'm like, he ha- will have to pose this whole time. Yeah. And there's so much time, and you're like, oh <laughs> right. no. He's going to have to, right. he starts bowing in like all four directions of the ring just to like take up a little more time. Because mm-hmm. he, because Glacier has like, he has like a set of poses that he does. Yeah. And you know when he finishes. Yeah. And then it's like, oh God, he's going to do yeah. it again, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So> <laughs> oh, poor Glacier. Now, uh, <laughs> I decided because we were a full month away, I decided that we weren't going to open with like a whole hour long story about our time at StarCast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should mention that you and I had the opportunity to meet Glacier, yeah. get his autograph, get a picture with him. What a sweet man. Like, he was so nice. Yeah. And and this happens like all the time. I, I mean, I'm sure it happens to lots of people. Yeah. When they meet wrestlers, it gives you a different opinion on them. Right. And looking, because like, I thought he was the nicest. Yeah. The most, like the most likable wrestler that we maybe, that I maybe met the whole time there. Yeah. Um, of everyone that we met, he might, he probably did seem like the genuine nicest. Like not, um, not just like, like DDP was really cool. Uh, I met him and, and, um, but like, he's definitely putting on a little bit of an act, you know? Yeah. And that's DDP. He's like a, a definite salesman. That's, mm-hmm. that's very much a, just a part of who he is. But Glacier was just nice. He was just a guy you met who was really nice, mm-hmm. who was like just tickled pink that anyone cared about this silly wrestling stuff he used to do. And to like really make sure that they had like a good time, he brought the whole Glacier outfit. Mm-hmm. Like the the Dungeon of Doom picture that they advertised was like, you're going to take it with the Taskmaster and Zodiac and the Barbarian, and we're going to have this backdrop, and it's going to be just so cool. Yeah. And it was just those guys wearing street clothes, and uh, and Brutus Beefcake had, like, a mask with the Zodiac makeup that, like, one in six pictures, he'd actually bother to hold up the mask. Yeah. You know, like, they were they could not give two shits. But, yeah. like, Glacier brought this fucking heavy-ass body armor. He lugged it all the way down there. He put it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like, he, and he didn't have to do that. He just wants to make sure that when you meet him, you're not meeting like Ray Lloyd, suburban uh, soccer dad. Yeah, you're meeting fucking Glacier. Yeah, and and there was a point where I where I was looking at his uh, pictures. You could get autographed. Yeah, and there's one where he hits like his kick on Lismark Junior. And I, I and I said, oh, that's that is a great photo. That's a really good kick. Yeah, and then he. Glacier pulls out his phone yeah, because he's like, yeah, someone sent me a gif of this the other day. And he scrolled through his phone. Yeah. He has like a ton of gifts on there. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know anyone else has tons of gifts on their phone. But yeah. Either way. But he just took the time to like, I'll show you this gif. Like yeah. just adding to the conversation, showing that he's engaged yeah. and that he was just like you said, like he just wants to make sure that everyone that meets him kind of gets like their money worth. Oh, you know, I'll tell you who the other nicest guy was, and this one was a real surprise to me. 
Uh, and I think uh, BG says doesn't have the reputation of always being the nice guy. Buff Bagwell was so oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, he was so nice, mm-hmm. and I was really re- that was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just so again. I don't want to go down like a whole Starcast rabbit hole. Uh, we met a lot of these guys. Well, as we talk about them, we you know we should mention that we met them. Or yeah, whatever, but I I feel like that that's also fair because we're gonna we're still gonna have a good amount of glacier yeah. going on. Yeah, and and I just feel like it's kind of changed my way of looking at it. Where I'm like I'm kind I'm pulling for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's so weird because like I know how it ends, right? But I still want to pull for it to turn out better. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I think. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get into it in the years ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I will say is that even though he got a pop at the beginning and the end of the match, during the match, a small but very loud group of guys chanted boring. Yeah. Uh, which was new. It was, again, it was maybe like three guys, but mm-hmm. they were very loud. Yeah. Larry and Tony gush more about Glacier, and he does his post-match kata. As Dave mentioned, we get the dynamite countdown, and Glacier takes up most of that time doing moves and poses and just sort of milling about. Mm-hmm. Finally, we get the hour two pyro and ballyhoo, and Eric Bischoff welcomes us to the second hour, where he'll be joined at the broadcast booth by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Iron Mike Tanay. Bischoff says that Jeff Jarrett is apparently in the NWO, and I'm not really sure where he's like so certain. And the only piece of evidence that's ever given is that he w- arrived in a limo. Like that's what rich people travel in. I these guys are all supposed to be rich, famous athletes. Yeah, I mean, I I guess that like since NWO showed up, they've always been pulling up in black limos. Yeah, and he showed up in a black limo. I mean, I you can certainly put two and two together there if you want to. I I don't think that's any stretch. I just think it it ultimately reveals the I guess if you want to call it the twist that he's not going to be in the NWO the fact that he's so adamant makes me go like oh he's not in the NWO because otherwise why would he be acting so convinced with Mm -hmm. such little evidence Mm -hmm. it's just so that I'm surprised later when that's not what happens although I felt like he kept saying that it looks like that he's a member yeah maybe I I don't know either way I I certainly get your point though like he kind of he kind of like uh overplayed it or where, where it's like okay if you mention it once or twice that's one thing but the fact that you keep harping on about the fact that he's definitely in the nwo it's it is revealing the the, the twist like pretty early yeah we return to the show to hugh morris making his entrance and bischoff says that this will be jeff jarrett's first opponent tony uh in wcw obviously <laughs> by the way um when hugh morris came down to the ring yeah he said something that i just i really liked it yeah he said i'm going to amuse you then confuse you, and then abuse you. Ooh, I like that. And it, just like in his, he said it in like his humorous way. Yeah. Which I always, I always thought like it's a dumb character. Yeah. But um, Bill he, Demott like does it really well. He really makes a go of it. Absolutely, yeah. I would agree. And when with he that. said that, I was like, I was like, oh, that's I, that's sticking in the memory banks. So yeah. Like, well, I'm gonna remember that because I'm gonna say that to my wife later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey. Tony and Bobby put over Morris as a big, tough guy and a real challenge for Jarrett, and I'd like to point out that Morris lost to Brad Armstrong two weeks ago. <laughs> well, he, he did get that win back, though, so That's he's true. kind of on a no-winning streak here. Then we get some country music playing. and out-
<laughs> by the way, yeah. Um, just you'll you'll want like once I mention this, you'll want to put this in as a as a soundbite. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett's music sounds almost exactly like the music that's from the winter slide level for Mario sixty four. Oh yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, now and I oh god I can't think of that music without thinking of that fucking penguin. Oh wow, oh wow! <laughs> like fuck <laughs> off, penguin. <laughs> that <laughs> for me that was always like pretty much every level up to that point. Yeah, you can be like one or two tries. Yeah, and then that slide you spend like an hour. Yeah, on Jeff Jarrett comes out wearing the gear that I hate, uh, where he's got like pants and then like streamers connected to a mm. collar. Basically, I hate that gear. I. Yeah. Really liked uh, his later Attitude Era gear of just the shorts. Mm-hmm. I think that's a way better look. Whenever I see him, I'm like, I'm like, I f- this is like one of those things where it's just hard to explain to someone if they're watching for the first time. Like, yeah. Like to me, it's like it's a normal sight seeing him with that outfit on. Right, yeah. But literally anyone else would be like, "What on earth is going on?" <laughs> Especially since like this one's like. It seems a little bit like fancier. Like he kind of has like some tassel thing going on. Yeah. But also around his neck is like, it's kind of like frilly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All like <laughs> just on paper, it sounds really weird. I mean, I guess it makes him stand out. No one else has anything no approaching that. that gear. Right. <laughs> I don't. I I'm curious. Like, how on earth did he come up with that? Yeah. Good question. <laughs> Jeffrey Leonard Jarrett is a 29-year-old third-generation wrestler whose dad is, of course, Jerry Jarrett, former wrestler and promoter of the Memphis Territory, the Continental Wrestling Association, later known as the United States Wrestling Association. Or that might be a completely separate company. Either way, it was still Jarrett and the same guys running it. Right. Which, as of October 1996, is still functioning with Brian Christopher as champion. When I say still functioning... I mean, barely. As in a coincidence, it was the Thursday just prior to this Nitro that the USWA drew just 372 fans and $1,800 to the Big One Flea Market, the smallest crowd in the history of Memphis wrestling. Hmm, that's not a good sign. Jeff was trained by his dad and the nature boy Buddy Landell and debuted in the CWA in March of 1986 as a referee, although he started wrestling merely a month later. The CWA merged with Dallas's world-class championship wrestling in 1989, and that's when they changed the USWA name. Jared became a 10-time holder of the USWA Southern Heavyweight Championship, a secondary title in the promotion. He was also a 15-time USWA Tag Team Champion and a 3-time holder of their top title, the USWA Unified World Heavyweight Championship. He did some wrestling in Japan and Puerto Rico as well, and joined the WWF in 1993 as part of a low-key WWF versus versus USWA angle that saw him lose to Bret Hart on a bunch of house shows, but never on TV. Right. (laughs) Very (laughs) low-key feud. By the way, I think if people that are listening that, like, know of the USWA, like... The fact that he's a 15-time, like, Tay champ yeah. doesn't really mean anything. Sure. Because the USWA, like, Jerry Lawler is, I believe, like, a 38-time <laughs> yeah. unified, like, world yeah. heavyweight champion. So, like, that's a promotion where, like, him, Jarrett, and Brian Christopher, like, 
hold like 20 or 30 right. championship reigns, th- that sort of thing. So, In late 93, he joined the WWF properly when he was introduced as Double J Jeff Jarrett, a heel country singer with an arrogant attitude, a penchant for spelling a penchant for spelling his own name, and the catchphrase, Ain't I Great. Mm-hmm. Double J spun his wheels for much of his first year in the company and didn't make an impact, really, until he won the Intercontinental title from Razor Ramon at the Royal Rumble in 1995. He held on to that title for the first half of the year until losing it to Shawn Michaels in July of 1995. He left for five months and went back to the USWA, but returned to WWF in December of 95 to feud with Ahmed Johnson. Once again, the character didn't really go anywhere, and Jarrett left the company a few months later. Took a little bit of time off, and here he is on our screens on WCW Monday Nitro. Oh, okay. Yeah, for some reason I thought that this was one of those things where like he was just on WWF like a week or so beforehand. But... I think they had some stuff taped, and then they they did that thing where they revealed that he wasn't really singing, but I don't think he was like on the show. I think that was something they did without him to just kind of explain that the character is a loser kind of <laughs> on his way out the door. Or they just wanted to g- get more of that profit from with my baby tonight. <laughs> All right. Bischoff tells us that WCW has decided to bring on Jarrett and let him wrestle on Nitro, and he's very disappointed that Jarrett has chosen to do that under the banner of the NWO. So disappointed. <laughs> he makes it sound like this is like a tryout pretty much sort of yeah like that he like he said he's going to have uh, this match to prove himself something like that yeah it's, it's like very it's very ambiguous the way that it makes him it. seem like not a big deal right the fact that i mean really the whole Jarrett debut makes him feel like not a big deal and uh i think it's m- maybe surprising in retrospect because i've never liked Jarrett, but i've always thought of him as like a fairly big deal like mm-hmm because the company's treated him like one even though i never thought that he was like i was always like he's not a big deal why are they telling me that he is Mm -hmm. but if you look at his early wwf run when you actually like kind of look at what he was up to he it was not that big of a character for the first run um so i guess you could say that it's not made a big deal that he's on wcw now because it isn't a big deal it's just jeff jarrett yeah, I mean, I think he might be one of the better examples of uh, how the title made the wrestler rather than the wrestler made the title. Sure. I mean, because that's uh, the fact that he was Intercontinental Champion, like, that's kind of his whole resume. Yeah. You don't really, I can't really think of many matches that he had in WWF during that time that were great. Besides, right. like, yeah, this, his match with Shawn Michaels is pretty good, but also Shawn Michaels was having good matches with everyone. Yeah, exactly. So. If you can't have a good match with Shawn Michaels, like, get out of wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of wrestling, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Jarrett and Morris lock up, and the bigger man backs Jeff into a corner. As Jarrett floats over Morris in the ring, Eric takes a sort of shot at Jerry Jarrett, pointing out that he's not on the national level, but he is important. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah. He's like talking about his background. It's so weird. He's just like, yeah, you know, his dad runs his territory. And hey, to be fair, it's like kind of a rinky dink, small time bullshit thing that no one cares about. But it's still, like, a thing. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. I think the reason is uh, that he's getting a roundabout shot at Jerry Lawler. Uh, you may remember from Observe This recently that Lawler was discouraging fans in Memphis from going to Nitro because uh, they're going to be there in, I think, two weeks. And Jarrett was, like, telling people, like, just stay home and watch it for free on TV or get one of all the free tickets that they're going to give out to everybody anyway. Mm. So right now he's mad at Jerry Lawler 
So I wonder if he's not really trying to bury Jerry Jarrett, but he is trying to just shit on Memphis wrestling as like a concept. Yeah, I don't know. I I felt more like he didn't want to talk about Jerry Jarrett in a way that upstaged Jeff Jarrett. Well, that could be. That was kind of how I felt about it. But sure. I mean, I don't know. I be you you're you've been doing a lot more of like the outside of the 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 show sort of like research and stuff like that. Maybe he is like all worked up about like some of these smaller promotions. But my impression was that like they didn't want to sound like, oh, he's just Jerry's son. Right. That sort of thing. That could be. Jerry reverses a hip toss attempt by Morris into one of his own. And he does his dumb little strut. Uh, He does like his hands are in peace signs or like scissors or I don't know. And then he just struts and alternates his arms. If you've ever seen Jeff Jarrett, if you've ever seen him in a match, you know what I'm talking about because he does it constantly. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would even bother me if he didn't do it so goddamn much. Yeah, he has this thing where he points with his two fingers together yeah. instead of one finger, which is like, that's different, but, you know, whatever. But um, he also poses with double peace signs. Yeah. I I don't know. He's just like, he's got it. Could double? Oh, double J. I bet. I bet it's something connected with that. It's two, and I'm double J. I I'm just wondering if Jarrett, if he's his strutting's not like a mockery of Ric Flair, but like because he was trained by Buddy Landell. That could be. And I'm I know I've already overthought this, yeah. but it this is wrestling. This is this is important to me. Well, and it's clear based on like his gear that he definitely has. Uh, like I don't think we called it this then, but he definitely has an eye for branding. Oh, like yeah. he's like I do these poses, I do this strut, I wear this goofy ass gear. Like I'm very, it's very much like distinct, repetitive parts of the presentation, so that it's very clear in everyone's mind like who you are and what makes you different from Steve Rustler and this other guy. You know. Well, he, I, he's a very, to me, very similar to Diamond Dallas Page, and that they're, yes. they're, they're the kings of self promotion. Yes, absolutely. Like, That's a great comparison. Yeah, Jarrett, yeah, he has like specific things he does. He makes sure he does them every match, so you remember. It's like when you think of Jeff Jarrett, you know, like the th- how he acts in the ring, what he wears, yeah. what he says, like that. That's that's a good way to get yourself over. It is, yeah. It's definitely a way to make yourself seem like a big deal when you're not a big deal, for sure. And right. that's maybe the story of Jeff Jarrett's career in a lot of ways. Bobby asks Eric about walking off the set of Nitro last week. He asks where Eric went, and Bischoff just says, that's not that important. Right. Which is maybe the fourth time that a storyline has involved Eric going missing, and it being explained as just, eh, who cares? I had things to do. <laughs> Uh, he says that he was frustrated and embarrassed by the NWO's antics at the hotel. Uh, and so another StarCast story. Uh, I was talking with Guy Evans, the author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise, Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW in uh, Buy It Where Books Are Sold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a really he was a really nice guy. Oh, my God. I hate him because he's like. He's a young, good-looking, charming man with this pleasant British accent, and he literally wrote a book on WCW and talked to, like, DDP and Bischoff and all these people. Like, mm. uh, no one should have that many good things. <laughs> he has too many good <laughs> Too many nice things. <laughs> uh, he's he's going to come on an episode in the future also. he's he's seems uh, keen on doing the show. I just wanted to pick an episode 
that I thought would have something really meaty for him to to kind of talk about. So I have one in mind uh, in the future, and maybe you know there might be more opportunities to have him on. So mm-hmm. uh, look forward to that, everybody. But anyway, uh, the point is, uh, I was talking to him uh, about how the most recent episode we did was with the hotel. Oh yeah, uh, yep. and Eric leaving. And uh, and how I'd asked Neil Pruitt, Neil didn't really have any specific memories because there was the big story. Did Eric leave because he was angry mm-hmm. or did he leave because that was always the plan? And now I don't know. Uh, this doesn't ne- necessarily prove either way. Yeah. Um, but he actually sent me footage, uh, like backstage footage of the hotel stuff being shot. And you see in the hotel room all these producers like Terry Taylor's there. Um, Kevin Sullivan is there Mm -hmm. and uh, in the background one of the guys who's in the hotel room with them is Eric Bischoff so he legitimately did leave Nitro and head to the hotel where these things were being shot because they were they were being done live Mm -hmm. so he did go over there so it is possible that seems to at least partially bolster the story that he left Nitro to go yell at Jerry Sags for doing the talking with his butt thing. <laughs> right. So he sent you like some Subruder film? He, yeah. That I'll, sort of thing? I'll, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't. He sent it to me privately, so I'm not going to put it on Twitter, but maybe I'll just kind of. Uh, I would include the audio here, mm-hmm. um, but it's just there's really nothing to the audio. But I'll put like a screen cap that shows Eric in the hotel. I'll put that on Twitter. Okay. Morris levels Jarrett with a big forearm and a back elbow. He gets an Irish whip and a big corner charge before mocking Jeff Jarrett's strut. Morris telegraphs a back body drop, so Jarrett tries a kick, but Morris catches his foot and then ducks at Jeff Jarrett and Zaguri. Morris again telegraphs a back body drop, but this time doesn't stop Jarrett's kick, and he ends up on the wrong side of an inverted atomic drop and a clothesline. Jarrett hangs Morris on the second rope, then drops a leg on him and struts some more. Morris again telegraphs a back body drop, (laughs) and this time Jarrett gives him a DDT for two. (laughs) If you're going to keep doing that, that he's telegraphing a back body drop and getting caught, shouldn't the time that he catches Jarrett's kick be the last time because it shows that he's learning from this? (laughs) Like, instead, the first time he was successful, and then he forgot what he had just done. Right. (laughs) He looks so stupid. (laughs) When Jarrett was losing, Eric claimed that he heard the fat lady singing. Uh, He just, like, Jarrett was losing and and Eric's gloating because he thinks he's with NWO. He's like, oh, the fat lady's singing. So then he goes back to that theme, uh, trying to subtly suggest the fat lady is singing for the WWF. As this time he goes like, oh, I I do hear that fat lady singing. And Bobby makes a joke about it being a fat lady in the third row. And Eric, like, laughs and then goes, no, I think it's coming from north of here. Oh, I, one of his little like you smarts know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jarrett hits a drop kick. Morris gets a power slam and goes up to the top rope, but instead of no laughing matter, he goes for a guillotine leg drop that Jarrett rolls away from. Jarrett points at his head because only a brain genius would think of moving <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> When you did that, I was like, I know Tim's going to appreciate that. Because <laughs> I know we both appreciate the whole pointing to the brain because you're a smart fellow. Jarrett locks in the figure four, and that's all she wrote. Morris gives up, and Jeff Jarrett struts. <laughs> After that, Jarrett is standing by in the aisle with Tony Schiavone. 
All right, Eric, thank you very much. And yes, you guys are right. It was a most impressive debut here on WCW Monday Nitro for Jeff Jarrett making his World Championship Wrestling debut. But And I say World Championship Wrestling, we saw you arrive in the black limousine. And it's apparent to all of the announcers that you are part of the NWO. But I need to ask you, are you another in the long line of these vandals that are coming out of the woodwork of the NWO? What's the story, Jeff Jarrett? Well, Tony Schiavone, I'm going to give you the answer. And I'm going to make a few statements in reply to a few things that Hulk Hogan has been saying the last couple of months. Tony Hulk Hogan, because I've had a few months off and I've had time to reflect and listen. And Hulk, you said that you were bigger than the wrestling industry itself. You said that you made the wrestling business. You said if it wasn't for you, that promoters like Vern Gagne in Minneapolis would have never existed. That if it wasn't for you, that my father, Jared Jared, another promoter in Tennessee, if it wasn't for you, he wouldn't have existed. Well, you didn't put one meal on my father's table, and you damn sure didn't put any food on my table. No sorry. You know, it seems like you seem to forget about history. You forget you, Hulk Hogan. You started in Tennessee. Hogan, history might not mean anything to you. The names like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, the Funks, the Briscoes, I could go on and on. History doesn't mean much to you, but it means something to me. So maybe Sting said it best a couple of weeks ago. Hulk Hogan, you and the rest of the NWO can stick it. How about that? Huh. How about that from Jeff Jarrett, ladies and gentlemen? What a statement here on Nitro, and we'll have more Tony asks about the black limo and directly asks Jared if he's in the NWO. Jared says that Hulk Hogan has claimed to be bigger than wrestling and that he made wrestling. He says that Hogan has claimed that without him, promoters like Vern Gagne in Minnesota and Jerry Jarrett in Memphis wouldn't exist. He says that Hogan hasn't put any food on his father's table and he sure hasn't put any on Jeff Jarrett's either. He says that Hogan has forgot history and that Hogan started in the Tennessee area. Meanwhile, the crowd is loudly chanting NWO. Hogan, uh, by the way, did spend an early portion of his career in Memphis, but Florida is really where he got his start. It's a little bit of a lie to say you got your start in Tennessee. Yeah. Jared says that history doesn't matter to Hogan, but it does to him. He says that Sting was right, and Hogan and the NWO can stick it. He leaves the back, and Tony sends us to commercial. Uh, I'm gonna be on. I'm gonna try to be as objective as possible, mm-hmm. even though Jeff Jarrett's one of my least favorite like big stars in wrestling. Yeah, I thought that was a good promo. If I'm being objective, like that was a good promo, especially given that like the crowd was kind of maybe throwing him off his game by chanting NWO mm-hmm. when he's supposed to be the arriving babyface. Who's like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna be one of the WWF guys who goes in the NWO because Hogan like disrespects my family's legacy. Mm-hmm. That's a good babyface role to have. Yeah. Um. So it's weird because he's still definitely wrestling like a heel with all the cocky shit and the strutting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh. But I. So maybe I guess you could you could truthfully argue that the promo was very separate from what we were actually seeing him do in the ring. Yeah. Uh, but I still, in and of itself, I liked this promo. I thought it was delivered well. Yeah, I I agree. I, I, thought, I thought it was a good promo. It really set, is established where the character stands, and, and it did so in a way that seems true to him. 
which would be like bringing up Jerry Jarrett, like Southern uh, Mid South wrestling, that sort of deal. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought I thought it was good. I mean, it doesn't really help that that later on Eric Bischoff's still like he might still join the NWO. Though. <laughs> and doesn't entirely trust him unless they make that like a thing. Right. Unless it's like an angle where it's like we never quite know where his uh, allegiances lie. But I feel like after that promo, it's pretty clear. Uh, yes, absolutely. We get a commercial break. The NWO would still like us to buy one of their T-shirts. Buy this shirt. <laughs> we come back to the announce booth, and Eric promotes Halloween ha- Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. Thank you. As the crowd chants Weasel at Bobby Heenan. They discuss the upcoming Luger versus Arn Anderson match at the pay-per-view, uh, and Arn is mad, and he's planning to make an example out of the Renegade tonight. Mm. Out comes the Renegade, and he's got high fives for everybody. Nice. What a nice guy. An angry Arn makes his way out to the ring along with Woman and the fucking awesome horseman theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, like, I don't know what it is, and I'm not just trying to insult Miss Elizabeth. I'm really not. There's something about Arn and j- just coming out with Woman instead of, like, this whole menagerie of all the horsemen. Yeah. I really liked the combo of those two. Mm-hmm. Like, I really would like to see Arn Anderson and Woman as just an act, even if it was a little separate from the rest of the horsemen. Yeah. It just really... I, it, I really... They're a duo that I... I think it's that I just like the hell out of both of those two as performers. Yeah. Well, I also think that when it's just Woman, it's like, oh she's going to be this X factor in the, in the match as far as like, if she's going to help out. Whereas when her and Elizabeth are there, yeah. it seems like she's also, she's kind of caught up like babysitting. Sure. Yeah, Elizabeth, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or they, or when they're together, they're more like a, the damsels in distress. Sure. Rather than the, like, you know, like I said, the, the X factor in the match. Yeah. So. She's a badass bitch. Like, and she is, it's watered down when there's Liz out there just like, looking bored and confused and out of place you know yeah like like woman it's like uh like when a really good sports team like plays down to the level yeah worst team yeah like woman kind of like goes down to that level when elizabeth's around so uh no i totally agree like and especially i i think there is something like just a good chemistry between arn anderson in particular with woman yeah whereas like Ric Flair, it's like, yeah, but Ric Flair has good chemistry with everyone. Right, So yeah. And and I don't feel like Arn Anderson has great chemistry with everyone. Sure. So I, I totally agree. I think that that, that that is a good tandem. The crowd is very into them, popping huge for the Enforcer. Tanae reminds us that last year, Renegade defeated Arn for the television title, which is a real thing that did happen. Mm-hmm. Sure as hell did. Uh, I, I love that the Renegade still is called the Renegade. I mean, he doesn't wear the makeup anymore. Mm-hmm. But, like, remember the Sullivan, like, wash it off, and Jimmy Hart was like, no, you're just Rick. Yeah. I think that's his real name, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, he's not wearing the makeup anymore, and he's not doing the warrior ripoff thing anymore. Yeah. But they probably should have found a new gimmick name for him, I think. Just started fresh completely. Yeah. By the way, when you're talking about, like, Jeff Jarrett's song being kind of, like, ripoff of his WWF song. Yeah. The Renegades is more of a ripoff. Yeah, it's Ultimate pretty Warriors. incredible. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, here to call all the action is our own ripoff. Yes. I don't even know what that. I, I gotta. I gotta come up with just one good nickname for you and use it every time because yeah. uh, I have trouble thinking of it in the moment. Anyway, it's Dave Amatorp. All right. 
One of these days, I'm just going to be like, is our own, and it's going to be a third person that hasn't talked the entire episode. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to call a match. Everyone will be so confused. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I I wrote that. Never forget June 18th, 1995, the Great American Bash. The Renegade defeated Arn Anderson to end Double A's last television title reign, Aww. which is sad to think of. Um, and because I didn't remember that match, I decided before I did this is to watch the previous match. Um, it's a and very, how was it? Like a four star, five star, four and a half? Yeah, I was like twenty. <laughs> but um, but no, it's like it's a very depressing ending too because uh, uh, basically the Renegade hits a Samoan drop on Aaron Anderson, and then he goes all the way to the other side of the ring. Yeah, goes to the top. Hits just a splash and pins him. Ooh. And the whole time, Arn Anderson's just eating canvas. Ugh. It's such a terrible ending. And it's like, it's really, it's bizarre because it's 1995. And it's not it's not in the Bible Belts. And it's in uh, Dayton, Ohio. But the fans are against Renegade in this match. Except for yeah. the very end. They, they pop for the title change. Yeah, so. people like seeing a title change. Yeah. So, uh yeah it was just it was not it was not good but uh here we are again so it seems like this is this is uh in theory arn anderson's redemption since i did appreciate the fact that they have that continuity where it's like yeah there's a reason why arn anderson would want to beat this guy up anyway a collar and elbow tie-up goes the way of the enforcer who pushes his opponent into the ropes before showing off his athleticism with some jumping jacks which is a little bit out of the ordinary for double a but anyway Another collar and elbow sequence sets Double A up for a pile driver attempt, but the Renegade counters with a medium-sized back body drop. <laughs> One body slam later, and Anderson heads to the outside to gather himself. Back in the ring, and Double A is back on the offensive, stomping away on the Renegade, while the commentators suggest that pretty much everyone they know is better looking than Jack Nicholas. Huh. It's just a weird aside that they, yeah. they go on. Yeah, I miss that. Anyway, uh, Arn gets full control of this match, grounding the Renegade with a snapmare and knee drop, while Eric Bischoff tells us how the Renegade needs to get off early in his matches. The Renegade tries to mount a comeback with a sunset flip, but Arn is able to keep his balance long enough to blast his opponent with a punch in the face, which the fans love, by the way. Yeah. Double A then puts Renegade into a chin lock while Woman seduces the ringside camera. Back on their feet, R. Anderson gets Renegade in a wrist lock, and we get a huge DDT chant from the crowd at this point because they know he's setting up for it. However, Arn is content with slapping on an arm bar instead. Even after releasing the hold, Anderson continues his assault on the arm with some well-placed stomps. After a body slam, the Enforcer goes for a Vader splash, but the Renegade gets his knees up in time. Renegade mounts a comeback, which features uh, some clotheslines, a six punch in the corner, and a goddamn cartwheel into a back elbow, which is not what I expected from yeah. the Renegade. <laughs> I think it, we've seen it, I, or I've seen him do that match uh, or that move before. Because so I think we were talking about how impressive it is seeing a huge guy do that mm -hmm. and how no one does anymore just because China did it and it like turned it into a woman's move yeah and so like even though there are probably like i like imagine keith lee doing that it would be fucking awesome yeah um but it just like has sort of become a woman's move for whatever reason right 
Unfortunately, the renegade goes for it a second time, and the arm counters with a forearm to the back of the skull. We then get the patented DDT for the pinfall victory. This match was just as good as the last time they wrestled, which was not great. <laughs> After the match, Arn puts Renegade in the Tree of Woe and gets some kicks in until Lex Luger makes the save. Uh, not only because they're having that match, uh, but apparently they alluded to this. I didn't quite get the details, but like on Saturday night or something, uh, I think like Renegade won a match and Luger gave him a high five. Like, no, um, I, I did catch that part. On Saturday okay. night, the Renegade wrestled Luger. Oh, okay. And Luger eventually won, but it was like a competitive enough match where they said that they shook hands afterwards. Okay, so it was like enough. Uh, it was just basically to sort of establish them as friends. So it would kind of make sense that A, Arn would want to beat him up mm-hmm. and that B, Luger would like bother to come out and save him. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up because, yeah, I, I heard that, but I didn't really get the details and I didn't go back. Uh, Arn bails from the ring, and Luger makes a big show of challenging him to return, mm-hmm. doing the whole, like, sit on the second rope, like, come on in, buddy, I'm right here. <laughs> I want someone just to accept that invitation once. <laughs> like, your opponent's holding up the ropes where you're like, yeah, okay, I'll come back in. <laughs> well, Arn is not going to uh, meet your expectations this day, unfortunately. Uh, and we go to commercial with the promise that on the other side of the break, Lex Luger will be in action. When we come back, Squire Dave Taylor comes out to the ring along with Jeeves, who Taylor beats the shit out of on the way to the ring. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So, after the break, Luger was in the ring. Now he's gone again. Yeah. So he can do his entrance yes. like a few minutes later. Yep. I swear this has happened before on Nitro with Luger. Ooh, that's a good question. Not that I specifically remember, but it sounds very plausible. It's something where it's like, why did he leave again yeah. just to be reintroduced? <laughs> so. Tanae mentions that Regal is touring the world defending the television title, which is true. He's wrestled in Japan and Germany and elsewhere. Luger makes his entrance next. Apparently, during the break, he walked to the back, just like you said. <laughs> right. Uh, just so he could come out like three minutes later with a theme song, because last time he just ran out. Of... He does a pyro, so I guess, you know, mm-hmm. they, they spent the money on that pyro, and yeah. gosh darn it, these fans deserve to see it. <laughs> gosh darn it. Tanae mentions that Bobby Eaton has fully divested himself from the Blue Bloods. I think we uh, we saw a little bit of that last week where he got into a fight after a match with the, with the Taylor Regal or somebody. Oh, it's yeah, been yeah, kind yeah. of a while since we recorded. I yeah. don't remember the details, um, but yeah, he. he uh, I think on a the episode of Saturday Night, he he fully left the group and said uh, that part of the reason was that they're being too mean to Jeeves, which mm-hmm. I don't remember them really doing before. But Taylor certainly is doing it tonight because he really lays it's into one, that guy. It's one of those things where Jesus is like, you shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> now they're just gonna be worse <laughs> to me. Heenan and Eric clown on a fan for wearing overalls. Uh, mm-hmm. you're in Georgia, guys. Like, he's probably not the only one. Maybe you just lay off him. <laughs> right. You're a, you're mainly a Southern audience-based product. Like, pro- just don't make fun of people wearing overalls. <laughs> it's not not your thing, but you're not the audience of your show. <laughs> Bobby mentions that the president of the American League is a big fan of his and of Nitro. Uh, oh, this is this is what I was getting at before. This is a complete non sequitur. Uh, but then he like brings up the president of the American League being the one who fined Roberta or uh, Robbie Alomar oh, recently. Gotcha. And he doesn't actually bring up the Macho Man fine, 
It's just that he talks about it. And I'm like, why on earth would you talk about that? Mm -hmm. Except that it's kind of meant to contextualize, like, athletes are getting big fines these days. Yeah. (laughs) It's also interesting uh, to remember a time when the American and National League had their own presidents. They might now, but if they do, they wield, like, no authority and do nothing. That was what I was wondering. I was like, is that just... I could easily see that being a role that you just never hear from because it's like, what would they even do anyway? Right. Collect a paycheck, I assume. (laughs) Nice. Luger and Taylor lock up and break up after neither man gets the advantage. They repeat it and then lock up a third time, with Luger this time getting a side headlock on and a back elbow off the ropes. We go to a split screen so we can see a Luger promo where he sends a message to Steve Regal that he wants his television title back, and then another message to Arn Anderson who he promises to beat and hurt at Halloween Havoc. I I was, like, beside myself that they are actually mentioning the television championship. Yeah. And especially since it's like I was the previous champion. And I want Like, Luger wants to win the belt back. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> Bischoff dunks on Luger after the promo, saying that he was surprised at how fired up Lex was, and that when he saw Luger had two things to say, he expected them to be, my left peck and my right peck, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was like, that was a pretty obvious dig of his. Yeah, and you know, uh, he's very open nowadays about how he did not like Lex Luger. Right. So like, yeah, it came through there. Yeah. <laughs> he's one of your biggest baby faces and you're just mercilessly mocking him on your show. And I thought it was kind of funny because like when I watch a po- promo, like, he was still flexing his pegs. <laughs> he definitely was. Like, that was addressed. You're, you're wrong, Eric. In the ring, Dave Taylor has seized control with strikes, but Luger gets back into it with a hip toss. He tries a backslide for two, then eats some Taylor forearms. Luger gets an Irish whip and a clothesline that hits his flying forearm, the loaded forearm due to the steel plate on yes. that arm. Yep. Taylor gets a kick and misses a second rope elbow. Luger calls for the rack, pops it on, and that's all she wrote. Luger wins a quick one, uh, looking completely dominant compared to Arn, who took quite a while to put down the Renegade in his match. Uh, that's, I should have mentioned that before, too, as far as Arn Anderson's concerned. Like, yeah. it, that was a lot of work for him to beat the Renegade. Yeah. And especially since that was an opponent that apparently... Well, I mean, I guess Luger, from the sounds of it, had a tough time beating the Renegade as well. But when you're having these two matches back-to-back, Luger clearly looks the better prepared. Absolutely. Two, so... Uh, but I thought that was, I mean, that was a good showcase match. There wasn't a ton to it, but Luger looked good. And uh, Dave Taylor is, like, really on my list of guys that I like, despite, like, they're never going to be anything big, but I just right. I really like Dave Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was a fine match. No, no problems. And and generally, I'm, I'm always happy when there's, like, a focus with something Arn Anderson's doing, too. Yeah, like, absolutely. He's, he's quality. Luger makes his way to the back, but before he disappears, Arn shows up with a chair and lays him out. Arn continues with more chair shots on a down Luger until Randy Anderson seizes the chair and Anderson, Mark Curtis, and even Nick Patrick stop Arn and send the enforcer to the back. We go to another commercial. All right. When we come back, we get our big rematch from last week, Rick Steiner versus Chris Benoit, this time with Scott Steiner in Rick's corner to hopefully stop Mongo's shenanigans. Eric acknowledges Scott's injury for the first time, claiming that there are two ruptured discs in Steiner's lower back. I think the truth is that it's a hip injury, uh, but either way, he's injured and they're at least finally talking about it Mm because before 
Like, he was talking about having a match at Halloween Havoc as of, like, four weeks ago, mm -hmm. and now he's just kind of been limping around and no one's really addressing what's going on. Yeah, I don't... My, my guess is that they, they think that, like, a hip injury is not, like, a manly injury. That could be. And herniated discs are more like, oh, that's, like, what buff men get <laughs> yeah because <laughs> so. the way he's walking it definitely like you can even see which hippie's favoring yeah so it i i'd be surprised if it was a back thing but uh yeah hey i'm no doctor this is gonna right. shock you dave i'm no doctor <laughs> but if it's also like the whole thing about not wanting him to look wimpy yeah they they also kind of went on about like the doctor said he should be lying down in bed yeah yes but yeah. he's toughed it out so he could be at ringside it's like that doesn't make him sound very impressive. That's true. <laughs> the horseman music plays again, and finally someone has decided that Benoit should not be coming out to his much uh is to his greatly inferior yes. solo theme. Yep. Mongo and Deborah come out first, and then the inscrutable and empty eyed Benoit. Mongo and Deborah come out first, followed by the inscrutable and empty eyed Benoit. He's trailing so far behind, too. I yeah. was like, wait, is Mongo this man? Well, they, like, come out, and then they split in the aisle and do, like, this grand, like, turn and raise their arm, like, presenting Benoit. Yeah. It, they really make him feel like a big deal. I liked it a lot. But you're right. He's way behind his friends. Right. Bischoff congratulates Kevin Green for getting a sack yesterday against the Vikings, only begrudgingly admitting that the Vikings actually won the goddamn game. <laughs> Like, he talks for, it's like a while about how great Kevin Green and the pa uh, Panthers are mm -hmm. and how he got a sack yesterday. And then he's like, I mean, the Vikings barely won that game. <laughs> You're like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> well, I also like what, what he say that he got a sack against the Vikings and Bobby Heenan's like, oh, well, the down. <laughs> well, no matter what year it is, that's probably a fair assessment. <laughs> right. Rick Steiner goes to the ropes to talk some shit to Mongo and Deborah on the floor. So Benoit opens the match by attacking him from behind. Benoit tries a leapfrog, but Steiner power slams him and lays in punches. Benoit charges, but Steiner gets a strong-looking clothesline and some kicks. The two men exchange punches. The two men exchange punches and kicks, with Benoit eventually getting the advantage briefly until Rick hits a fucking awesome belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Eric says that Scott Steiner will soon have surgery, and with him on the shelf, Rick will be teaming in Japan with the great Muda. Uh, I looked up just kind of what he was talking about, and it, uh, he's referring to the Super Grade Tag League 4, a tag tournament that New Japan held where Rick and the Great Muda were indeed partners, making it all the way to the finals. And I imagine that we'll cover the results of the finals in a future Observe This segment. So oh, okay. I will keep that under wraps. Sure. Rick maintains control with kicks, as Bischoff says that Matt Gaffari, uh, the Olympian guy who we've seen in the crowd in the last two Nitros, mm -hmm. he had some matches against Rick when they were both in college. Okay. In the ring, Rick applies a chin lock. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> Rick punches Benoit and gets a one count. He ducks Benoit punch and performs a fantastic release German suplex. Rick gets a two from that, and we go to break. When we come back, Benoit has somehow seized control and he nails chops in the corner. The two men strike each other a bit until Benoit levels Steiner with a back elbow for two. For some reason, after Rick kicks out, Scott Steiner walks over and pulls Nick Patrick's hair? It seemed like maybe he was supposed to break up the pin by doing that, mm 
there's really no other reason that he would do it. Yeah, that was pretty confusing. But the way Rick kicked out, like Rick kicked out, like uh, just normally, it wasn't. It didn't seem like he expected Scott and then had to like panic and kick out. Mm-hmm. So the kick out was fine. There was just no reason to explain what Scott Steiner did. Yeah, I like um, a little bit going back a little bit when they were uh, trading punches in the corner. I like yeah. that there was. Uh, Bischoff made some sort of point about like these are both men that really are about like the high uh, intensity yeah. and exertion and uh, it's at this point I f- I feel like this match is suddenly turned into like this personal like one upsmanship between them sure of like <laughs> hitting each other as hard as they can yeah pretty much and uh, I I felt like after this point this match like goes to kind of another level where I'm like wow, this is actually a really good match. Yeah. Benoit gets a snap suplex for two. Eric soon gets word from the back, and we cut there where a limo backs up, showing an NWO license plate, uh, like a paper one. Like, it's not an... It's, yeah. It's it just, looks, like, slapped on It looks tape. like a child drew it. <laughs> it really does. It looks so <laughs> amateur. Outsteps the WCW world champion Hollywood Hulk Hogan, along with the Giant. Hogan says that he has business to attend to and asks the Giant to watch his back. In the ring, Benoit has been working a headlock, but now he gets a scoop slam and an elbow drop for two. Bischoff wonders about the location and status of the Nasty Boys in relation to the NWO. I'm never wondering about the location of the Nasty Boys. Nope. Nope. I mean, if they're on TV, I guess I'm wondering, why are they on my TV? That's sort of wondering about their location. I wonder if in the back of his mind, Bischoff's wondering if Jerry Sags is talking with his ass somewhere (laughs) just to piss him off. Benoit hits another scoop slam and a side suplex as Brain laments the absence of Sting. Benoit tries tries a pin for two as Eric notices that security backstage is going crazy. He insists that the NWO will not take over tonight. Hey, he promised me that it's not going to happen. He gave that impassioned speech last time, so surely it won't. <laughs> Just, oh, Eric. <laughs> Steiner, uh, Steiner gets a flying forearm and both men go down. Benoit manages to pull Rick into a turnbuckle and he lays in some vicious-looking kicks. Benoit slaps on a headlock for a little rest before relinquishing for a chop, scoop slam, and a top rope headbutt. Benoit covers for two, and Eric points out that they now have monitors in the arena so that the live fans are able to see all the backstage stuff. Benoit comes off the top rope with a flying nothing that Steiner catches for an overhead belly-to-belly. Steiner gets a kick to the gut and a DDT. Benoit barely kicks out, so Steiner hits a scoop slam and goes to the top rope for a nice bulldog, sort of doing the Steiner finisher, like, on his own. Mm Mm-hmm. He hooks the leg, but still only gets a two. Scott Steiner argues with Patrick, and in the ring, Rick Steiner runs into a big boot from Benoit. A double clothesline puts both men on the mat. Deborah distracts Patrick, and Mongo has the briefcase, but Scott Steiner stops him. Rick grabs the case and levels Mongo, then Benoit, and picks up the one, two, three. You saw, you see how uh, how Mongo sold that when he hits him with the briefcase. Oh yeah, he he, he went like lights out unconscious. <laughs> right. It was great. Oh my god, it was like that's that is like a gift that needs to be made. His his selling of Yeah. It. It's it was so it was really funny. Incredible. I I watched it like four times. Yeah, I I rewound it and watched it a couple times well, as well. Oh, they they also had a replay too, which I like when I saw there's a replay, I was yeah. eagerly awaiting the Mongo. <laughs> yeah, I'll gift that. I'll gift that and get that on Twitter. Oh, God. That's... To this point, that's the best thing Mongo has done. 
his his selling of that is amazing. Uh, so I thought the ending of the match was a bit much, but in general, it was a really fun match. Uh, last week, when we were getting the big Benoit-Rick Steiner main event, mm-hmm. I was like ultimately kind of disappointed. This was more the match that I was expecting. So I was I was pretty pleased with this one. Yeah, like like I was saying, I felt like there was a point pretty early on where it seemed like these guys were just like we're gonna we're gonna turn it up a notch as far as this match is concerned. Yeah, I I thought it was it was a lot better than I expected, and, and considering the moving parts of that ending, especially since Mongo was involved in those moving parts, I thought it was executed really well. Yeah. Um, Except for the fact that Nick Patrick clearly sees him throw. <laughs> yeah. He like basically witnesses the whole using of the briefcase and they try to make up excuses. And it's to the point where even Bob Keenan's like, no, no, he sighed. <laughs> but uh, at least he's crooked. So you could always explain that. Like he's just being shitty because he's right. evil. Yeah. Like even when it makes no sense, because a lot of the stuff makes no sense. Yeah. It's just. That's Nick Patrick for you. Mm-hmm. But no, I I mean, I really wasn't like looking forward to a rematch because like the first match wasn't didn't like wow me or anything like yeah. that. But I thought this was I thought this was one of the better matches I've seen recently on Nitro. So we go to commercial as the announcers wonder what Nick Patrick's loyalties are during commercial. We get a Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc uh, promo. And when we come back for our main event, a U.S. title match between champion Ric Flair and the challenger, Macho Man Randy Savage, the Macho Man comes out first, and then Ric Flair's theme plays. But instead of seeing Flair enter, we go backstage where Hulk Hogan, Ted DiBiase, and the Nasty Boys are walking down a hallway. Hogan says that he has a problem with Macho, and he wants to look him in the eye with nobody else around, and he asks the Nasties to watch his back. They agree, and Hulk and DiBiase tantalize the Nasties with nwo paperwork Mm, good paperwork they seriously are like all right come down this hall we got this nwo paperwork for you Ooh, (laughs) like wow cool what a badass organization you guys are with your cool bureaucracy well (laughs) the whole thing felt to me where it's like yeah don't worry just go down this dark alley where nothing's (laughs) gonna happen to you I don't even remember if there was a payoff to the Nasty Boys here, if they just disappear for the episode. But I believe they're just gone the rest of the time. Okay. But it just felt, this just felt like 100% of a setup on the Nasty Boys. Yeah. When we come back, Bobby has a good line saying that Hogan wouldn't watch anyone else's back unless he was looking for where to stick the knife. Yeah. Nope, that was good. Back in the arena, Flair's music still plays, but he hasn't shown up. Eric sends us backstage again, where Nash, Hall, Six, and Vincent are beating on the Nature Boy. Vincent holds the U.S. title, and Liz stands by looking scared, but maybe not scared enough for the announcers. They're just, like, not sure if she's putting on a show, and she's Mm. still in the NWO. Not still in the NWO, but... Also the Giants back there, too. Oh, yes, you're right, because my next note is that the Giant advances on her, and she flees to the arena to be near the announce booth. Macho Man, or not to be near, that's just where she ends up. Macho comes to her aid with a chair, but Hogan cheap shots him from behind. Hogan drops Savage on the guardrail and grabs a chair. He chokes Savage, and Liz tries to stop him. Hogan grabs her by the hair and makes her watch as Giant leads Randy to the ring. Giant runs Randy into a ring post, then press slams him over the top rope from the floor. In the ring... Oh, there... (laughs) 
you missed you there's the moment where he has so the giant's carrying savage over his shoulder yeah like he's just gonna walk him into the ring yeah they're on the ring steps and he loses his balance and the ring steps like tip over oh and yes he, and he drops savage to the ground and then the giant just like I have to do something like throws the steps in anger. Yeah. Before press slamming Savage in, but it's like that's like one of those things, those goof ups where like you always expect that to happen, but yeah. it never does. <laughs> yeah. But it was just, and they were trying to say like, oh, just all the weight. Yeah, like, they just claim like the steps like collapsed under his incredible weight. It's like no, he just he lost his balance because he probably hasn't practiced going upstairs with a guy on his shoulder. Yeah. Uh, in the ring, the giant kicks Randy a bit while Hogan makes Liz watch. Giant goes for a choke slam, but Hulk stops him. Instead, Hogan just punches Randy instead. Instead, Hogan just punches Randy. The giant forces Liz to watch Hogan drop the leg on Savage, then spit on him. He drops the leg again to many boos in a shower of trash. Hogan holds a Slim Jim and mocks Savage before dropping another leg drop. Before dropping another leg. He sprays a body outline around Savage, then hits another leg drop. He sprays NWO rules on the ring and then drops another leg. Yep. The outsiders come to the ring and the Hulkster grabs a mic. Flair is down, Sting is gone. something by the power vested in me as Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the Brotherhood. Of the NWO, I deem this consummation of the Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth null and void because I own you. Get us out of here. I own your body. I own your soul. I own your heart because it was etched. In stone. Get us out of Miss here. This list, you're mine. Ooh, yeah. Get us out of here. Please, cut the cameras. You know something, brothers? Just like the Macho Man has been destroyed, I seriously doubt he'll be at Halloween Havoc. Why don't you snap into it? Slim Jim Macho Puke. What's next? By the way, let's destroy the broadcast booth. Oh, no, 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 get out of here. The WCW. No way. Let I'm the not leaving. No way. Begin. No way. Let's run him over. Come on, guys. The heck? Bring her with us. The heck is that? The heck is that? Hulkster uses the power vested in him to dissolve the union between Macho Man and Liz because he now owns Miss Elizabeth. Bischoff begs the show to just end, uh, and I'm doing much the same. Right. <laughs> but Hogan continues to say that he doubts Macho Man will even be at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. He then says the NWO will destroy the broadcast booth, and a loud motor revs. An NWO monster truck drives out with six in the passenger seat. It revs its engine at the booth a bunch, 
but it's not going to just drive over the announce booth. So the show just ends with it looking like it might. Right. It's very lame. Mm-hmm. It's very, very stupid. It's also clearly uh, the Hogan monster truck from last year just repainted. Yep. Because it's still got the big arms on the side. Yep. Uh, I thought the I thought it was very weak. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the fact that Savage is again looking like a chump at the end of a Nitro. Because, like, I'm just a broken record on that. Like, clearly yeah. they don't give a fuck, so why should I at this point? Right. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that ending sucked. What about you? Yeah, yeah. There was nothing to like about that. It just, uh, there, was certainly, there was certainly a point where it's like, oh, okay, so now it's just the Hogan show right. until the end. And so it's like, eh, kind of, kind of tuned out after a bit, you know. Like you said, the, the way that they're quote-unquote building up this title match, it's like, how can anyone get invested in Savage? Yeah, yeah. How can you possibly expect that he's going to win? There's this. There's just no chance he's going to win. And I feel like not only that, but like by the way it's played out, that the wrestlers know it too. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the end of Nitro. Before we get into our other segments and stuff, uh, what did you think of the show overall, Dave? Um, boy, pretty pretty forgettable. I would probably say. Yeah. Um, I mean, it feels like we kind of, we, it's, I think we've quite a few times mentioned like this whole, the idea of like WCW being in a holding pattern because they have all these weeks before the next pay-per-view. Right. And, um, well, I, I like what they did with the build up for, um, Arn Anderson and Lex Luger. I, th- I feel, I feel more interested in that match now than I did before this Nitro. Um, but yeah, I mean the the ending was so weak. I don't feel like there's a whole lot to to take out, and we didn't we really didn't get any cruiserweights, yeah, or anything like that. I mean the nitros before used to have so much more variety, yeah, than what we're getting nowadays. It's it's more like some tag team matches, and then it's just a matter of when the NWO kind of takes over the show. Yeah, I uh, I thought this was just a really boring episode i struggled like the thing with the giant on the steps i just missed it because i was so tuned out by oh the end, sure yeah you know yeah. Mm-hmm. um i just was like my heart was not in to working on this one as much as i normally am and it's not because it wasn't even like bad in an amusing way it was just like oh god i gotta just get through this right it made me really depressed about those like 99 and 2000 nitros that are on the horizon or i mean the idea when it get, gets to three hours you mean yeah, and just that that on the whole of Nitro, like the, this is still the good period. Oh, sure. Like we haven't even gotten to the real dive in quality. You know what I mean? At least the at that point, at least it'll just be so bad that we can laugh. But like right now, it's not even like that. It's just just a boring, average wrestling show. Yeah. Uh, and I really can't wait for the Hogan uh, Savage feud to just be over with, so we can move on to something new, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this is. I, I can't even think of another t- time when they when there's been a hype for a world title match that has felt like so like like it's a, such a throwaway feud. Like this whole thing feels like they're this feud's just filling up space. Yeah. Yep. For some like I just get the feeling like there's going to be a new challenger coming up pretty soon. Yeah. 
and you're and they're just waiting for like we just have to do this Halloween Havoc because Savage has to have the title match, and then we'll move on to the real challenger for Hogan. Right, and they, and you've still got a weird holding period before that because the next pay per view, the main event is the huge sixty man battle royal, so like oh, sure. Hogan, I, I don't even think defends the belt on that show. Probably not. So like it's gonna be a. Uh, even longer time before that next challenger and Hogan, like that build is going to be, it's probably going to make this one seem short. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Good. In our raw recap, Mark Merrow defeated the fake diesel via disqualification. The smoking guns defeated the new rockers. The Sultan defeated Aldo Montoya and Sid beat Goldust in the main event. Holy shit. In our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.1, and Nitro got a 3.5 for both hours. Oh, so they didn't have the drop-off. Correct. Yep. They maintained their audience. Uh, The final quarter was a 3.7 for Nitro to a 2.0 for Raw. So they were beating them by almost a full two points by the end. The last quarter would be the last 15 minutes of both shows. So that means... That all that Hogan stuff is paying off. Yep. So get ready. We'll see a whole (laughs) lot more. Oh, my God. And that's going to bring us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe This, brother. This is what we call a rag sheet. On the October 1st, Saturday night, Ted DiBiase said that next week's episode will be NWO Saturday night. Meltzer says that the plan is for a normal episode except for one segment, which was taped inside an empty gym where the outsiders take turns beating up some jobbers. Meltzer reports that during the last week's show, Eric Bischoff did indeed call over to the NWO hotel and was hot about Sags doing the butt cheek thing. (laughs) So Meltzer at least is convinced or, or had somewhere that it uh, happened. So we know that he went there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious as to what really happened. <laughs> just, I love that that uh, Jerry Sags talking out of his ass has lasted this long as a yeah. story for like anyone. <laughs> You're only encouraging him, Eric. A lot happened over on uh, WWF Livewire. First, Vince McMahon was on to respond to the recent heel promo that Jim Ross cut that explained why he brought Razel and Diesel back. Uh, it was kind of like a work shoot with JR airing like some legitimate yeah. grievances. Yeah, I remember I remember that promo. That's yeah. like it was one where I was like, oh, I'm surprised because he mentioned being fired. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of because he's talking about real things, it doesn't come across as a heel turn because you're like, yeah, you're right, dude. Vince has been an asshole to you. I'm on your side. Right. It's it's one of those things where it's like he has these actual grievances, but he's trying to, if he says it in a heel way, yeah. then people will boom, right? Vince says that JR had misrepresented being fired twice, saying that the first time was just a contract expiration and that WWF chose not to renew his contract, which is really a distinction without a difference. That's the same thing. They do that a lot. That's the same thing as being fired. We're not renewing your contract is the same as firing you. Right. And the second was for talking to dirt sheet writers. Uh, apparently, Jim Ross had been given a pro wrestling torch interview while he was not working for the WWF, mm-hmm. but it ran after he'd been rehired. Uh, and that's 
apparently Vince heard about that interview running and then re-fired Jim Ross. Wow. Yeah, he's a dick. Well, I was about to say, <laughs> what an asshole. Also, a new character debuted on Livewire, a brash East Coaster named Vic Venom. Oh, <laughs> nice. Meltzer notes that people seem to like the Venom character, but he felt that it just got in the way. <laughs> He got in the way of Livewire. <laughs> yeah, the, all like, the action on Livewire. Yeah, they have more important things to do. <laughs> also on Livewire, Paul Heyman called in as Bruce from Connecticut. <laughs> he berated McMahon for stealing all his storylines from Heyman and ECW and yelled at him to shut the F up, at which point they hung up on him. Of course, that's all part of a storyline. That's all right. WWF is in on it. Yes. Steve Regal defended the WCW television title in Germany a few times over the last week. Hmm. On television? Uh, on WCW television or on German television? Any television. It's a I, television title. I doubt it. <laughs> I sincerely doubt it. I think the plan had been to show some of these matches on at least the syndicated WCW shows, but they just never do it. Yeah. Meltzer believes that Randy Savage is going to leave WCW after the pay-per-view. <laughs> He has every reason to. <laughs> I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we've talked a little bit uh, about Bret Hart re-signing with the WWF, and mm -hmm. I think last we talked about it, we said that it seemed pretty certain that he had agreed with uh, WWF. We talked about how he was, um, like they did the Pillman thing where he was saying he was going to interview him on Mind Games and all that. Yeah, yeah, he had the um, he had like the the via satellite from kuwait uh south africa south, i think it was yeah. yeah because he was like still doing those tours for WWF. yeah he had like agreed to him ahead of time and and one thing about brett he's like if he told you he was going to do it it doesn't matter if he's not under contract now he'll do it like, right he's a you know he's a man of his word he's at least a man obsessed with his reputation <laughs> you know what i mean right yeah anyway uh apparently things are really not as sure as they had seemed as the top story in the observer this week is over uh, the the fight for Bret Hart's services. Hmm. Well, the WWF had been planning for Hart's return at the Survivor Series, and he is already being advertised for a late November tour of England, WCW has countered with a strong offer, which would be at least three times as much money as Hart has ever earned in wrestling guaranteed. Uh, that's directly quoted from the Observer. It appears WWF officials became quite concerned over the past week when they received word that WCW has made a huge offer, a three-year deal to Hart worth supposedly close to $9 million, one which the WWF couldn't even afford to come close to matching. So that claim from the Wrestling Observer matches up perfectly with Bret Hart's book, probably because Barry Bloom, uh, who is Bret Hart's agent, was a source for Dave Meltzer. I don't oh. know that for a fact, but mm -hmm. that's probably why Meltzer is getting the story like almost exactly correct. Oh, okay. Brett says in his book that on September 27th, Bischoff offered him $2.8 million per year for three years. Brett's book even says that Meltzer had such an accurate account of the contract negotiations that Brett assumed that Meltzer had insiders in one or both organizations. According to Brett, Hall and Nash agreed to waive their favored nations clauses and Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan were willing to call Brett and say that they harbored him no ill will over things that he had said and written about them in his Calgary Sun column. Uh, he wanted assurances that, like, the top guys weren't so mad that they would refuse to work with him or, like, cut sure. off his success, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Brett claims that he and Vince McMahon spoke by phone last Thursday, October 3rd, and then again over the weekend, and then again over the weekend that transpired right before this Nitro aired. He told Vince that the offer was $3 million per year for 180 dates, and Vince immediately acknowledged that he would be unable to match it. Brett says he didn't want him to match it, only make the best offer he could. Brett says that both men knew he had no real desire to go to WCW. He says Vince told him, quote, WCW would never know what to do with a Bret Hart, and went to put together his offer. Two days from today, Wednesday the 9th, Vince flew to Calgary and presented his offer, a 20-year deal worth $10.5 million that would see Brett through the end of his in-ring career and then keep him in the company as an advisor and ambassador. Meltzer doesn't know it just yet, but on October 10th, the day after getting the offer from McMahon, Brett decides officially to return to the WWF. On October 12th, in the Calgary Sun, Brett wrote, quote, a wrestling organization who is a competitor to the WWF has offered me an amazing amount of money to work for them. I'd be working less days than with the WWF and making a lot more money. I realize that in a few years I could be sitting on a beach somewhere and never have to work another day in my life. Being that the WWF is a family-owned business, I didn't think they could ever come up with enough money to match the offer. I've said before that I'm not greedy for money, but that I am greedy for respect. I started asking myself hard questions about loyalty, integrity, and weighing that against the fact that I have four kids that could benefit from the money long after I'm history. I owe the lifestyle I enjoy today to the WWF. I do feel a sense of loyalty to Vince McMahon, but his company, its directions, and priorities have changed. In the words of the Million Dollar Man, everybody has a price. I've lost sleep over it, but I've made my decision. It was like choosing between two lovers. They both want you, and they both treat you good, and they both have their own little benefits. No matter how good the one you end up with is, you're always going to wonder what you've missed. So I point all that out uh, partially because Eric Bischoff uh, in recent months on his podcast has claimed that he never made this offer to Bret Hart. Of course he says that. Says that that's just like basically a figment of Dave Meltzer's imagination, (laughs) kind of ignoring the fact that like it's very well documented by Bret Hart with like specific dates. Right. The exact offer he wrote about it at the time in a newspaper. Right. Like that'd be insane to just make it up. And I'm not saying Bret's not a little weird, but he's not he's not just going to make up a contract offer like that. I and I it's such a weird thing because I don't know what bischoff gains by lying about it now like i can't see what obvious benefit there is other than i think he just has like legitimate trouble with the truth yeah i think sometimes he just opens his mouth and he lies and then he's just like well i'm kind of deep in this one now so and like it it was it was in 1996 so no one's gonna like present the contract to prove him wrong right so so he can just lie with impunity and be like Meltzer's fake news blah 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 yeah i Seems like Bishop is just like a pathological liar at times. You just can't. Yeah. Like, you just can't help himself. You you ask him about something, and his reality gives you a, a particular answer, right? And that's what he's comfortable with. Well, moving on from the whole heart saga, which I think is just a fascinating one and one that's going to have direct implications for WCW in the future. I, I was just when you're talking about that story, I'm just thinking about like that whole like the butterfly effect of like. What if Brett had taken the offer in '96? Yeah. yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of things. The way the wrestling evolves is fa- is like factored into that decision. Yeah, 
Um, I think you could make a real argument that it kills WWF and not necessarily because Brett is so valuable because I think his value has really started to wane um, because crowds, they're starting to do the Attitude Era kind of stuff and crowds are getting a little tired of Brett and he's getting a little tired of them. Mm -hmm. But if Brett's not there, can they make Stone Cold in the same way that they did? I don't think so. Like, heal heal Bret Hart, who is, like, obsessed over, like, how are you guys cheering a guy like Stone Cold? Mm -hmm. If he's not, I I just don't know that they had another foil who was as perfect for for Austin to play off of. And if Austin doesn't get made, I don't know that that country, that company, excuse me, that company survives the, like, lean years that it was in at this point. Yeah, because it's like, Bret Hart and Steve Austin, their 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 characters were so true to themselves. Yeah, and they just they worked so well against each other. My first thought is like, then Steve Austin would be paired up with like Shawn Michaels instead. Right. But I just don't think that Shawn Michaels would have been the right, could have done the job quite so well. Right. Well, and then plus, it's not even just that Austin got made by Bret, but indirectly, Austin's greatest opponent was Vince McMahon. And that was made by Brett, too, because the mm-hmm. Mr. McMahon character only comes because of what happens in Montreal. Yeah. So it so uh, even if Austin still becomes a big deal, it's unlikely that the whole Austin versus the boss thing, which is what really gave that company a shot in the arm, the mm-hmm. idea that you could watch some guy kick his boss's ass in the way that you want to kick your boss's ass, mm-hmm. uh, that would never happen. So, yeah, I, I really think that Brett leaving at this point would have been just devastating yeah and it, it, it might have also convinced sean to leave because like now everyone's jumping ship you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah especially since he had reasons to because his friends are in wcw and they're in wcw for a while right that was kind of like this big deal is like right after their contracts they seem to be it seemed like they were unhappy pretty quickly yeah and I, I just remember that the story was that they had these like three year contracts that they just could not get out of. Right. Um, yeah. So this whole decision with Bret Hart, like in retrospect, is one of the more significant like free agencies <laughs> that wrestling probably has seen as far as like how it impacted once he made his decision. And it's that's crazy. I mean, he's his his thing has always been about like his pride and yeah bret hart wanting respect and stuff but like when it comes to like putting your money where your mouth is like that is a crazy amount of money yeah to turn down it's nuts over over like the respect thing because he it's because like yeah you can make uh this amount of money in 20 years or you can make it in three years right and he's like i feel more comfortable with the 20 years yeah the 20 years and in that 20 years i'm going to do a lot more work Right. Like, in one year of that 20-year contract, I'm going to do as much work as I'll do in the th- three years of the other contract. Right. Or it's And it's also, like, you could easily see yourself getting through three years of right. a contract. Yeah. But how about a 20-year contract? You know? How many things could change? Yeah. I don't know. I could, I could just, I could just uh, talk about that, like, all the ramifications of that forever. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the WWF and the Hart family, there was a WWF house show in Calgary on October 5th, which included a tag match of Ted Annis and Harry Smith versus TJ Wilson and, and Andrew Picarnia. 
This is notable because Annis and Wilson are around 16 years old and Harry Smith is 11. TJ Wilson, of course, is Tyson Kidd. Ted Annis is Teddy Hart. And Harry Smith is Davy Boy Smith Jr. Uh, Andrew Bacarnia, the fourth guy in the match, I couldn't find anything on. <laughs> just some just some dude. Yeah. But yeah, they did a children's tag team match at this uh, WWE house show just because they're all like Hart family members. Nice. Uh, and the match was done as a tribute to Matthew Annis, Teddy Hart's brother and a nephew of Brett Owen and Jim Neidhart. Uh, we mentioned him before he died of like God, it was like flesh eating bacteria or just some god awful thing. Yeah. Uh, that was a few months ago. So they did this as a little tribute to him. And for the show, WWF gave one dollar of every ticket sold to the Alberta Children's Hospital. That's nice. Ric Flair is now expected to miss the rest of the year after surgery for a torn rotator cuff. In a pretty interesting business breakdown, Meltzer looks at the NWO's storyline's effect on business, which has some interesting findings. You ready for this? Yep. So he looks at uh, 1996, and he breaks it down into a period of pre-NWO and post-NWO. Okay. So the first is, uh, like, gate. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just how shows are television. I think I think it's both. Okay. From the pre-NWO period, the average was 3592 paid. Average gate, $41,407. The NWO post-show average, 3063 paid, so almost 500 less, actually a little more than 500 less, and $37,208, so a little dip in revenue there. TV ratings, pre-NWO average show rating, 2.20 post-NWO angle per show average rating, 2.23. So virtually unchanged. Okay. Pay-per-view buy rates. The February, March, and May uh, pre-NWO buy rates were 0.62. The July, August, and September average buy rates were 0.66. So a very slow uh, increase there. Dave acknowledges that maybe the point of uh, WCW's business right now or their model is just to beat the WWF on Mondays. And if that's the case, there's no argument that it's that it's working. Like, yeah, it's definitely working. And he also says that the angle is good and his point isn't to claim otherwise. It's just to show that business wise, the NWO is not actually making the difference that is being perceived by the wrestling community at the time. Mm hmm. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting. He actually like broke out some facts and figures and showed like, ah, it's not really doing a big change in business at least right now. I think as we yeah. look in the future, that's going to change. But yeah, and I, I mean, my first thought would be is when there is such a change like this, or if there is like a new stable or wrestler that's like a big money person. Yeah, like how quickly do you see that reflected on the bottom line? Right. Those numbers are really surprising. I'm just kind of curious if uh, if you look more like six or, or nine months or a year out, if, yeah. it, if it that's where they start seeing the success. Yeah, hopefully we get a similar comparison in the future. In our last note, the Sandman regained the ECW championship on Saturday at the ECW Arena. Raven is dealing with some personal issues, which is expected to cause him to miss some more time. In fact, Raven was not even on the show where he was supposed to defend his title, so the Sandman won the title by pinning Stevie Richards in a tag match. Okay. That's fair enough. Heyman's doing the best with what he can, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, apparently, the Rock and Roll Express were also supposed to be on that show, but no-showed. 
and showed up at some small-ass indie in Tennessee instead. <laughs> that one with 300 people? No, that was... Well, oh, that was in Tennessee. But no, this was, like, smaller than that. <laughs> if you can imagine. Or maybe bigger. I don't know. It was... It didn't have the prestige of being Memphis wrestling, I guess, is my right. point. Or, or maybe they were like, you know what? These Paul Heyman checks are not really a guaranteed <laughs> thing. All right. Well, that wraps that up and just about wraps up the show. But there's one last thing we need to do, and that is declare our match of the night and our MVP. Mm. Let's go with MVP first, and I'm going to kick things off. My MVP of this show was Rick Steiner. All right. I thought that was a fun match he had with Benoit. He hit some really great suplexes in it. Uh, Rick Steiner is not someone you'd think would be main event. I mean, essentially, because of the attack on Flair, that Savage Flair match never happened. Mm -hmm. So two weeks in a row, Benoit versus Rick Steiner has main evented Nitro. Right. And uh, this time it was a very satisfying match, and I thought that Rick Steiner did a great job, and he's not somebody you'd expect main eventing in singles action mm -hmm. uh so good on him for rising to the challenge i i really liked rick tonight what about you who's your mvp i will give my mvp to old double j himself jeff jared um they i felt like in comparison to when he was in wwf at least initially they've made him seem a little bit more important yeah because he got like the whole show up in the limo entrance uh, he got to cut a promo which is one of the better promos i remember seeing him cut um and his match with uh, humorous wasn't i mean wasn't remarkable or anything like that but it was a pretty standard it got to show a lot of like the pretty uh traditional mannerisms and moves and stuff like that for jared just it really introduced him to the wcw crowd really well so uh, this week i'll give it to double j all right well uh my match of the night's probably gonna be no surprise i went with benoit versus Rick Steiner. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I already kind of gushed about why I like that match and, and why Rick I thought was so good at it. So uh, without further ado, what was your match of the night? Uh, well, we usually do a match or a segment of the night. Yes. And I'm just going to go with the uh, with uh, Mongo selling of the briefcase. <laughs> Fair enough. That, that's a, I'm going to count that as a segment because yeah. – I don't, I don't remember the last Nitro in which I've, like, rewound and watched something two or three times. There's probably something with Ric Flair, but if you make me go back and watch it again, I, I think that should be uh, something that's no noted. Uh, so this time I'm going to give it to Mongo. All right. Well, uh, I'm thinking if I have anything to say, and I don't. I think that some Jim's Halloween Havoc has a lot of intriguing under undercard matches that can make up I mean right now it doesn't seem like it's going to be a good pay-per-view because there's such an emphasis on the really bad main event Yeah, but there's a lot of interesting matches there and, and I'm look, I, I just either way I'm looking forward to like finally getting to that point well I agree with you I think that pay-per-view looks great and hopefully the remaining two nitros we have before we get there are a little better than this one mm -hmm. and we will find out and tell you all about it right here where the big boys play 20 years of nitro and we'll be back more live on nitro continues after this timeout